This is Chava Carta. I'm director from Inquilinos. Yeah, I'm very happy to be in Sin Cabeza. Gracias por la invitación. Thank you very much. Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Andres Kaiser, writer and director of Feral, which is playing Saturday, June 1st, and Sunday, June 2nd at Oa Mexico Film Festival. It's very cool to have you here. Hi, hello. Yeah. So uh, for people uh, not aware of Feral yet, uh, can you give them an idea of what the movie's about? Um. yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, well... Feral, it's a it's a uh, Mexican film as well as all the uh, films that are gonna be screened at Hola Mexico, um, and it, it it is it's a it's a, a bit of a horror film. It's between the thriller and the horror, and it's about a, a man who a, a Catholic priest who right now who writes now it's uh, living in the woods. Uh, for a life of contemplation. And one day he found three feral children in the wild, even in the wild, these, these kids that they're not, um, they cannot speak, they cannot have any social relations with other human beings. Uh, and so he decides to take them into his house, into his cabin in the woods and try to civilize them. Uh, which it's a very bad idea. It turns out to be a very bad idea. Um, so that's basically the plot of the, of the film. So, uh, where did, where did the idea come from? Well, you know, as, as, um, when I was a kid, uh, I read a book called, um, the, um, the Lord of the Flies, 
mm-hmm. which is I, I was really impressed with this is a story about uh some kids who who um they're traveling in a plane and the plane crashes and they're uh, uh, abandoned in an island and so they have to decide uh, you know how, how to make their lives uh, like an like an every adult they they're, they're going to take decisions and at the beginning everything is good they they try to make civilization and stuff but after a while there start to be a lot of fears uh between the kids because they say some some of the kids say that there's a monster in the island and the little kids are very scared and and you can see that there's a relation of power um so i i was always very frightened with this book so i believe this is this is one of the you know the first the things that I that I experienced, and many years later, when I was thinking about doing my my first film, I thought that you know, uh, trying to to explain humanity and trying to explain uh, what is the deepest horrors we, we live, and and for me, they're, they're not like kind of ghosts or mm-hmm. or scary things that doesn't exist. It, for me, the deepest horror is, is trapped in the in the human bodies and in the human minds. So I wanted to make a film that, um, yeah, try try to to talk about these themes. Uh, how how terrible can we be with each other, and where is the horror um, inside inside of us? Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, that, that was the the the, the where, where the film came from. Yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in school, at least they used to when I went to school. In high school, we would uh, we read that book in in school. I think mm-hmm. most uh, people my age did. It, it, I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's it's so mm-hmm. touching. It's so um, you know profound in so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think yeah, it is it is it is, and I think also that that was a film very influential for me was Princess Mononoke from um, from Hayao Miyazaki, this yeah. animation film. Um, so I, I think those two concepts when you put them together which they're very similar in 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 in, in some levels mm-hmm. i think they're pretty scary they, they can be pretty scary mm-hmm. is the idea of uh, feral children is is uh is that taken from anywhere is there anything that that's uh loosely based on in reality well you know there's there's uh from a long history there have been a lot of feral children cases but sadly, they're poorly documented. Um, but basically, there's one case which happened in France, uh, I think in the uh, 17th century, which uh, a doctor take this, this child into, into care, and he wrote a book, a very important book, very detailed book about it, who's called Victor de Abairon. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, it's, it, is, it is like base. In some in some cases in, in 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 that case happened in France and it's also talking about there's a famous case in LA that happened in the in the 70s I believe uh, a little girl uh, who, whose name was Jeannie and she lived uh, in in an LA house and his parents won't let her go out from a room she was tied to a chair uh, and she she has no uh, uh, language of any level so I think. They're mostly those cases which I based on to create the the imaginarium of the film, if you want to mm-hmm. call it. Yeah, and it's a it's a very unique film the way you tell a story and the way it's made because it. Uh, and I saw that your background is in um, 
in documentaries. So it's almost like a documentary that's a fictional documentary. Yeah, you know, I I I always I wanted to have a very hyper realistic film. Mm-hmm. Um and I always well, because I'm I'm come from the editing side of, of cinema. And uh, when I was editing documentary, um I I realized that you all the time or most of the times you're using a very not very different strategies when you are editing fiction. Um, for example, you know, to, to, to change the point of view or, or to, to say something, uh, less or say something more about some, some subjects you want to say. So there's a lot of manipulation in the documentary, uh, as well. And, and the public, they're trying to believe that documentary, it's like, uh, it's all truth. Mm-hmm. It, just because someone said so or one character says in front of the camera. So I believe that if I play the film like a like a documentary, and I can mix it with a little found footage, uh, horror found footage, it could be like a very um, realistic uh, mix and maybe maybe a scary one. So uh, I, I think the mix, um, uh, yeah, it it it, it ended up working in a in in, in a way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people do have the idea that a documentary isn't supposed to take, you know, either side. You're supposed to leave it up to you yeah. to, to, uh, to get, yeah. you know, but I mean, I, I always think almost all documentaries are clearly, uh, have one side or the other. And as you said, if you manipulate, uh, you can easily make someone into a villain or a hero, just the, what you show and how you show it. Totally. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot, I, I, I'm not saying that, that, that the documentary is like a, it's, it's all fake, but right. every every um, piece of um, you know the, ca- the only to put the camera in 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 in, in some place that you decide, you're making reality not, not because it's impossible to represent reality in in as a whole. Um, so you, you're taking a piece of reality only, and and that piece of reality has to be served in terms of of narrative. So. Mm-hmm. The, the question you're asking all the time when you're making documentary is like, is this, is this going to work for the final picture? Is it going to work for the discussion? Is this going to work for the, for the plot? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's true or if it's not. So you're, you're playing a lot with, with a dramatic, um, with dramatic sense, with fictional sense. So I, I believe that happened into a lot of documentaries and the, almost the majority of them. And if you see that the most successful or, or the most documentaries are like, they are the which they play better with the with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. It's just uh, you. It's weird that I think a lot of people don't think that way, but it, it's clear when you're watching them. So when you're editing a documentary that you didn't um, that you didn't direct, like, mm-hmm. is it up to you to to decide like how you do it, or do they have a lot of input? And what they want you to get across when you're editing it. Uh, well, I guess it depends on the on the director a lot and mm-hmm. how many clarity does it have or does she has to 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 explain or, or to tell the, the story. Um, but I think you always, as an editor, because it's such a strong position in, in documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that when you're making fiction, maybe the DP is the strongest person in, after the director who's making decisions. 
but in documentary, uh, he, he's, he's the editor because mm-hmm. you're taking a lot of uh, very important decisions to to that. So for me, in my case, I'm, I'm always trying to, to propose something. And I was very lucky to find directors that they were very open into those kind of decisions. Um, I, I was really funny, you know, because when I when I was making this <laughs> this um, this film, Feral, this uh, documentary horror film, um, I I was writing the script and I was trying, you know, you, I was writing the script as if, as if the documentary was already edited. Uh, and when you're editing, you have a lot of raw material, so it, it was like like a very strange uh, kind of uh, method of working because it took me uh, so much time to to write the script because it has to look like a very a documentary which was you know film a lot of filming uh, and then after a lot of filming you have to watch the 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 material and after that you make an edit. So that whole process was only in, in, into the writing stage. So it was it was hard, but it was funny, you know. Yeah. So, well, like, if someone were to read the script, would a lot of it be like uh, stuff you wrote down about how you're going to edit it? Like, how how did this? What did the script look like to someone uh, not like yourself who was just reading for the lines? Yeah, it was. You know, if you read the script, it was. Uh, I mean, it was written in a in a fictional format. Mm-hmm. But if you read it, it was like you were watching a documentary all the time. Um, you know, very long phrases uh, from the characters, uh, because sometimes that's how the documentary works. You know, the characters in front of the camera and just talking, and and you, you, we want we want to to keep going and to keep hearing this character. So it was basically like like a documentary, like if you transcribe a documentary from watching to the screen into into a screenplay, a cinema screenplay. So it was, um, yeah, it was curious, I think. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, my co-host has uh, joined us now, Troy. Who? Co Troy, or my co-host here, Terrible Troy. How you guys doing tonight? Good, thanks. Good. Hi, hello. Hello. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm very good. How are you? Uh, everything's great. Thank you. Thank so, you. Good. When you go to cast a movie like this that, you know, is presented as a documentary, uh, like, what are you looking for? Because I would assume you try to get, like, uh, realistic-looking people. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, a hard decision to make because I, didn't, I wanted, like, uh, very good actors, professional mm-hmm. actors. But m- most of them were, like, old actors. But it's very difficult to find a very good actor who who is not recognizable in in you know into into the people's mind. Um, so we make like a we we made a they made a huge casting um, work, and we ended up making a mixture with non-actors or natural actors, uh, with professional actors that hasn't been in cinema just in theater, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes some very Good actors, which been a long time away from um, from from the film um, world, so it was kind of a mixture, I I, I think. Um, and then there's the kids, three kids. Mm-hmm. We we made like I I think we spent one year into looking for the kids. Um, we have near a hundred kids at the beginning, and then we ended up with three. 
um, and they were terrific kids, just just um, very professional, very they all wanted to be actors, and and and, and they, they I was just surprised with them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, uh, still photography, like uh, in the movie, especially at the beginning, and you know, just like a documentary. So um, when when you're taking those photographs, like uh, what's that process like? Uh, the photograph from the from the steel photographs. Yeah. Are uh, you afraid? Yeah, well, just the, the, yeah, the one that you move around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the whole, you know, because we we didn't have any access to archive material, mm-hmm. so uh, because of uh, rights and rights and and stuff like that, so we have to to make everything, um, just just to. To, to make everything with kids or we with different characters to look like they were real photographs from the 60s or from the beginning of the 20th century and stuff. So it was a very hard work to you know to to remake all these these things just to look like they were produced in in the 80s or in the 50s or in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was was created uh, from that point of view. I, I, it was it was it was really um, yeah it was it was fun and, and we I don't I don't remember how many um, people including um, extras and stuff with the film was but it was a lot of people you know in front of the camera. Yeah. So like how how long was the whole process of making the movie because you have to film these things and you said the writing process is a little different because you have to you know, plot this out as a documentary. And then I would think putting it all together and in, in, in post and stuff would also take a lot of time. Yeah, it was, I mean, here we took seven years to make the film. Oh, wow. um, it was quite, quite a time, seven, eight years. Wow. Um, yeah, but the, 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 the main, one of the main reasons that happened that way, I, I believe that um, because this is my first feature film as a director, and mm-hmm. as a writer, um, so here in Mexico, uh, most the, the you know most films come most film money come from 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 the state's uh, taxpayers' money. So you have to do a lot of uh, bureaucratic process in terms of prepare the project and the script and the budget and everything just just to you know to to the committee they can they can make a judgment of the project and stuff. So that uh, that added a lot of time, you know, to 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 have the the, the money only to film. Um, I believe sometimes in in, in the states um, the money came from other other ways. Sometimes it is better, sometimes it's, it's worse. I don't I don't know. I, I, I'm I don't have the the tools to decide that. But uh, but definitely was a lot of bureaucracy in, in terms of that. Um, but but I think it's, it, it was good because every time, you know, a committee said no, for example, I have more time to plan the script. Or, for example, we have like uh, uh, 50% of the, of the money in the, into the bank account and we have to wait a whole year to get the other 50%. So I will turn on to the script and try to, to read it again and to make changes. And at some point of view, I was, I was, you know, I was trying myself. I was trying crazy because I just wanted to make the film and stop, you know, to please this whole thing be over. Um, but well, right now I'm, I'm, I'm preparing the, the, the second film and I hope, 
I'm not. Um, I, I will be able to make it in in less time than seven years because it's a lot. Yeah, it is a long time, seven years. So, uh, have you ever made a when you were working on other documentaries? Were they all out of Mexico, or did you uh, make movies in the states or anywhere? You know, yes, we have we have this. Uh, I edited one film. It was very close to that project, and I really like it a lot. Uh, we filmed that in Alaska. Um, in the Bering Strait. Um, so it was just amazing because the director, who she is a, a very uh, famous photographer here in Mexico because she did a lot of photographs of Lucha Libre in the 80s and in the 90s, uh, and she wanted to do a documentary about uh, this uh, frontier uh, which exists between the U.S. and, the, and Russia. Which is which is in the Bering Strait between two tiny islands. Um, so I, I thought the story was fascinating. So we went into Alaska. Uh, I was making you know like a lot of things. I was I was first AD and at the same time I was a data manager, and at the same time I was a third camera, and uh, I was assistant production. I was doing a lot of jobs, uh, uh, and then I edited here in Mexico. So I really have a very passionate and I really love that that documentary is called Bearing Balance and Resistance, um, and which is it's, it's a very American story. We, how, who are the people who live in you know in that part of the world, which is uh, very isolated, and and I find it really really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So uh, how did you get into uh, into making movies? I I I think I think it was when when I was fourteen or thirteen. Um, I, I we we used to have in San Luis Potosí, which is my hometown here in Mexico. We used to have once a year like um, like a, a show of international films. Uh, and I remember for the first time I saw a, uh, this film called Love Highway by. David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I, I just found it totally amazing. I didn't know that you can do that in a film. Um, so I was, I, I mean, I was impressed. And I, I remember when I get out to the in the theater, I just say to my friends, um, I want to do that. You know, sometime in the future, uh, I just, I, I know what I want to do. I want to do that. <laughs> so I think the yeah, that was the time I realized I wanted to to be in, in the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Was it was it something hard to pursue? Like, uh, how how do you get? You know, it's one thing to want to do it, but how do how does one like uh, get in, involved in making movies? I mean, I was I, I consider myself very fortunate because I was able to to go to Spain and to study uh, film editing and uh, script writing in Madrid. Oh, nice. uh, and then after that, uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. And so Spain and and, and Madrid, such, such an amazing city. So after that, I, I returned to Mexico, and I was very lucky to find um, job very quickly uh, in in the editing um, um, area. Um, and then after that, I was uh, I think I was like ten years editing from editing um, TV series, films, documentaries, and stuff. Um, until I one day I wanted to to 
to make my own film, to to be to be a um, a director, and I, I'm not just only a director, but as a, as an author. Um, but I think it's a really hard uh, profession to pursue because you live a, a you spend a long time with uh, you know concerns about having no money and to where's how you're gonna pay the rent if there's no uh, future uh, projects. And then you spend a lot of time working in projects that you don't believe a lot, but you need the money. And your free time, you're working into your your own things that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, when you see the film in, in the screen, uh, when you see people talking about some project you, you were involved with, I think that, yeah, I think it's worth it. It's very hard. For me, it was, was, was really hard. But I really enjoyed the ride, and I'm still enjoying it. Pay off's all worth it then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, have you watched Pharaoh with an audience yet? Uh, Yes. Um, We premiered in Fantastic Fest in Austin Mm -hmm. uh, this in last November. Uh, It was uh, uh, that was the first screen the film had because that was a world premiere. Um, it was great. It was great how the people receive it. Uh, we have a chance, you know, to be in the festival. It allows you the chance to talk to the people and, to, and, and, and to be there as closely. So it was really good. Um, and then, uh, uh, the film has been in a couple of festivals here in Mexico. We premiered at Los Cabos Film Festival. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have our Asian premiere very soon. Uh, in a in a, an important festival also, so it, it is really it's a mixture of being nervous because maybe somebody you know could go away in the middle of the of the screening. <laughs> right. but at the same time, I think it's it's amazing to talk to the people and and to see how they react and to see how how they value uh, your work and and the people who work in in the film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, have you ever been to the Ola Film Festival before? To Ola Mexico? Yeah, have you ever been to the Ola Mexico Film Festival? No, I, I, I haven't. You know, I've been hearing a lot from a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. This is my first time. I only, I, I only was in LA once uh, because I, I went there to edit a TV ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I stayed like, I think like 36 hours in LA. So it was airport, highway, hotel room, editing a lot, go to Venice Beach, touch the sea and go home. Uh, so, but this is my, my first time I want to, you know, to experience LA, uh, which I, they, a lot of friends told me that it's a beautiful city, uh, and to experience the festival and, and to talk with a lot of films I want to see, a lot of filmmakers I want, I want to meet. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool lineup, and it's um, you know a lot of different types of movies. Now, uh, your movie is in the Octur- on the on the Nocturna um, lineup. Um, are you uh, are you interested in horror movies, or did you just happen to make like a horror movie? I would love to be making genre films uh, as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm actually working right now in my next film. Um, and it's, it's about, it's slightly different. It's not, it's not using documentary anymore. It's more than like a narrative film. 
But it's about it's in it's it happens in 18th century in Mexico, which was part of the Spanish uh, colony at the time, uh, where there's this nun, uh, a woman, a nun that she is charged with um, um, for the Inquisition decided to to make some charge with her because the Inquisition thinks she is possessed by the devil, and because of that she has been murdering a lot of nuns in the convent where she lives. Um, so there's this priest uh, that came from Spain, and he tries to, to try to, you know, to solve the mystery. Is this just a woman who is um, having some hallucinations, or is she really, uh, you know, talking to the devil? Um, so I'm, I'm really fascinated with the fact that horror can, can talk very deep um, uh, subjects mm -hmm. in many levels. You can you can make commentaries of the social reality mm -hmm. at the same time and in a philosophical way, uh, but also be a movie that can be capable of being scary or have a lot of deep emotions or terrific emotions in the in the audiences. Mm -hmm. So for now, I just want to pursue it, um, genre. I, I think that's most what I like. Mm -hmm. Yes. So when you start, you know, you watch, you watch the David Lynch movie that said made you want to become a uh, get into making movies. Uh, what are some of the yeah. horror movies that uh, that made you interested in horror movies? Well, you know, uh, when I was really when I was a kid, I remember watching uh, Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. Which uh, years after that, I just you know when I was a kid, I was terrified with that. I didn't understand <laughs> nothing, but I was terrified. Uh, yeah. And then years later, I I watched it again, and I believe it's such um you know I really I really love it. Um, then I really love uh, Dario Argento's uh, Gallo uh, mm -hmm. career, uh, mm -hmm. which I believe is it's it's uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I admire a lot of American genre, uh, you know, all all those masters, John Carpenter, Top mm -hmm. Hope. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of uh, this 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 American genre in the 70s, which is kind of in between into an indie film, but at the same time, it's like a like a very um, aesthetic um, uh, and very uh, I don't know, very powerful genre of films, w which I truly love. Um, uh, the, the 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 slasher movement, I think, is one of the the you know the the, the greatest where the assassin is real, right? The assassin mm -hmm. is. He's very real. He's not. He's not a ghost. It's like a, it can happen to anyone, anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I love um, this new uh, horror wave that is happening right now. Um, you know, for example, with films like uh, uh, The Witch or uh, Hereditary. Uh, I think that uh, even even um, um, it follows. I think there's, there's there's plenty of of creativity in horror even today. Um, there's there's a, there's so amazing filmmakers that make uh, you know making such a very pleasant and, and, and amazing stories. Um, so yes, I'm an enthusiastic of horror from 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 all from all from all uh, ages. I believe. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, some uh, recent horror movies because uh, really horror movies have uh, uh, been popular the last few years uh, with movies like said It Follows, Babadook, the, the Witch and stuff. 
yeah. is is horror are, are those movies big in Mexico and is, is horror itself big in Mexico? Uh, I, I'm I, I'm sorry. What's uh, are 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 genre films big in Mexico? Big, yeah. I think I I think they're big. Every you know, I if I if I I'm not maybe I'm I think I'm not wrong, but I have this this thing that I think the horror films are the most uh, popular in 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 I think just in the entire world uh, because I think there's a very human. Um, thing that makes you go to the cinema and be scared by something. So here in Mexico, we are, uh, as well in the States, we are experimenting this new wave of Mexican directors, uh, which are making, you know, just new films because in Mexico we have like 20 or 30 years without any horror film at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and we, we came from a country that make a lot of very good horror films during the, you know, the first half of the 20th century and then into the 60s and 70s, even some in the 80s. And then just was like this drought, which no horror films came until, I would say, 10 years ago. They started to, to be, to reborn again. Um, you know, filmmakers like Sakis Van, for example, which is, uh, uh, he, he just is making right now films in, 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 the, in, in North America. Um, and I, I believe that, that, you know, there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of pushing of new wave, uh, directors and writers who, who really like horror. And, um, I, um, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's not as big and as, as, uh, as the States because the States always is like, um, you know, it has more sound of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're, we're, yeah, we're there. We're, we're, we're making our job into creating a new, a new wave of Mexican horror cinema yeah so um after ola mexico film festival uh what are the plans for feral is it going to go to other festivals do you plan to uh uh video on demand or or dvd blu-ray um well after that we're we're hoping uh, we're going to go to some other film festivals um you know this in in late june where we're going to have our uh, asian premiere uh, and then we, we expect to have a, a theatrical release in Mexico in October this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because it's, it, it's still in, in, in Mexico important to have a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, people still go to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I think in the States we also do, uh, but I uh, do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is, it is quite an, uh, a very different experience, right? Yeah, I, I love to watch movies at home, but I don't think uh, it ever captures the experience of seeing the movie on the big screen. Yeah, totally. I'm agreeing with you. To see everything in a big screen with a sound. And mm-hmm. and I think it's a social thing to do, right? Yeah, you know, I agree. Go, go, go with your girlfriend or with your dad or I don't know. Yeah, and there's also something about watching horror movies with other people. Uh, the reaction from the crowd adds to adds to the... the um, the experience of seeing it, you know, if people oh, are scared. If or... everybody's jumping out of their seats, that's the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think, I really, I don't believe that, that theaters, they're gonna disappear at all. I, I don't, I don't really believe that because it's a, I think they're, they're, they're there to, you know, to, to be around for a long time. 
-hmm. But I'm not sure how many they will continue to grow or they'll continue to maintain their 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 audience levels. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how. But yeah, I mean, for us, for Feral, uh, you know, one of the main goals is to to be uh, in a streaming platform that could, uh, you know, where everyone can watch it around, I don't know, 180 countries around the world, which is a lot of people. It's a huge, uh, it's a huge number to be in and, and the people only to, to buy a click, uh, you know, watch your film. Mm -hmm. uh, even though you are surrounded with, I don't know, thousands of, of other films. Um, mm -hmm. but, but that would be after the theatrical release, um, and the festival run. It would be great uh, to have it in 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 a streaming platform, you, you know, like a like a a, a mainstream uh, streaming platform. Yeah, you know, with sites like uh, Shutter, uh, Shutter especially Netflix, uh, but uh, they show a lot of international movies on those, which is is exciting because uh, depending where you are, like uh, besides some like something like Shutter, I don't really have access to a lot of these movies from other countries, and so to have them on there. You know, it really, uh, you get to see these uh, movies from other parts of the world that you might you might not see otherwise. Totally, it had it had changed a lot in in that sense because you know I can turn on my TV right now and watch a film from uh, I don't know Indonesia, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, by other terms I will be really hard to me to watch. Um, so I, I think it's like a, like a knife with double, um, I don't know how to say it in English. In, um, in Spanish, we say there's a sword with, um, with, um, um, with a cutting side on both sides. A double-edged um, sword. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because from in, in one, you have a lot of exposure, but on the other hand, you have a lot of, a lot of competition as well. Right. Um, so it's kind of a dilemma. Well, you know, it doesn't mean exactly that if you are in the platform, you're gonna be, you know, watchable for a long people. Um, mm -hmm. So, but but for the viewer, in that case, I think it's a really huge advantage to watch whatever you want from whatever the world you want it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's easier probably now than ever before to actually get something uh out there but it's also harder to get noticed since there are so much so totally, many things out there. totally yeah, yeah. so that, that, that's the way yeah because there's so much films done today uh, <laughs> on all the feature films if you count the short films you know mm -hmm. it's it's like a, a huge number uh so how do we uh, that, that's a main question for me and then to i don't have any answers right now from but how do you you know are the one to be there and to say, Hey, that's me. Please watch me. <laughs> right. So yeah, I, I think we, we have a, we filmmakers still had uh, a lot of work to figure it out into strategies and to, um, uh, coming up thinking into how, how do we get that kind of job done in addition yeah. of making a quality and a good film. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, maybe this is too early for you to answer since you just have your first feature at the festivals, but uh, I would think that the festival scene could help that way because I've been going to the festivals for a few years and movies that do well in the festivals, they get a buzz amongst horror, horror fans or festival fans. And then when they do end up on a shutter or, or Hulu or wherever it is, 
uh, they have that built-in um, uh, fan base and buzz who then tell other people, hey, you got to check this out. I saw it at such and such film festival. And uh, I think people then are more likely to see it if they see that it has some type of buzz from the festival circuit. Totally, totally. I, I think festivals became very important. I mean, yes, I think it's maybe the only one or the only way to show your 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 work into audiences that at the time they're going to talk about it or there's going to be uh, media, for example, like you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we are having this conversation thanks to a, a film festival, which I believe is great because it allowed me to talk with you and, you know, to be heard by your audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and, and I think that it's a, it's a very positive thing because there are a lot of film festivals. Very, you know, not only like this huge, big, uh, enormous, uh, European festival, but there's a lot in the community who makes, um, you know, who, who make the labor to take the, the films and show it to, 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 to small communities or to medium communities and, uh, and people start to talk about it. Um, so without film festivals, I, I mean, will, we will be totally lost. <laughs> I would yeah. say uh, yeah. it would be impossible for anybody to notice you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I actually just started going last year to film festivals and, uh, I used to go to a film, uh, like horror movie conventions and I like those too, but the festivals, uh, for me, it's a much better experience You get to, to meet all the people who make movies and other, uh, movie mm-hmm. fans and so, mm-hmm. so that's good. And you can also, I know a lot of filmmakers and I'm just filmmakers, but people, you know, either they work on the camera or they write or whatever it is, they get to interact with other people and network. And then, um, you know, then they collaborate and make things together. And even if you just go to watch movies, you get to see a lot of stuff, you know, a year or so before they pop up on shutter and all these sites. And so it's a really great experience all around. Uh, it's it's amazing, you know. When when we premiered Fantastic Fest in Austin, I I don't have any words for that festival because it's just it's just fantastic, as the name said it. Um, there's a huge number of fans that travel a long a long way just to go to Austin and to experience ten days of of uh, watching films. Uh, so the the cinema is always crowded. I believe there's like twelve theaters in, in, in together mm-hmm. and they're all crowded, all crowded by, by fans. So you can, you can have your, you know, having a beer and, and there's a famous star over there and nobody's like taking a lot of attention, but you right. can talk to the fans too. And you can very relaxing, uh, uh, thing to do. And as you said it as well, we knew, for example, some collaborator we're collaborating with here in Mexico from the States in Austin. So, it's an amazing opportunity for everybody. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, definitely. And what's cool about uh, Ola Mexico uh, Film Festival is uh, they're showing some of this stuff uh, you know, more than once. So you can see Farrell on Saturday, June 1st at 3.30 in the afternoon, or you can see it Sunday night at 9.30 on the 2nd. And that's good because sometimes you you know you just have to miss some movies. Either you got to get something to eat at some point in time, or there might be overlap in you know, schedules. And it's good that it has uh, two screenings so people can catch it. Ah, that's totally, yeah. And, and you know, you know, the greatness about Hola Mexico, I think, um, because I think they're like, the, I total list 25 films. Um, mm-hmm. and the thing I really like is that, yeah, 25 films in 10 days, it's a very 
great amount, so you can catch uh, a very, a very, you know, you can watch a lot of them. Even mm-hmm. you can watch them all if you want. Uh, from one side, and from the other, it's very good because it, this festival, I believe, it shows the whole spectrum that what's going on in Mexico. You can find general film like mine, or you can find more social film. You can find documentary film, commercial film, art film. You know, it's like really, it, 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 you can you can have a very taste of the spectrum of what's going on into Mexican cinema in this year. Uh, mm-hmm. It gives you a, a very good sense of, um, you know, what's happening, what's happening here in terms of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, where can people follow you? Or, or do you have like a social media page for people to follow you and see what what you're up to? Uh, well, I'm 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 on Facebook, uh-huh. <laughs> so people can find me there as Andres Kaiser, or you can find me on Twitter looking for Andres Kaiser or dot uh, Um So that's basically where we are. And we have a web web page um, which is uh, for for the for the production company I founded with 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 Nicole, the producer of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Cineferal, so you can put cineferal.com and see uh, which films are we going in the future. Which we're making a lot of co-productions, and, and you can find us Cineferal also in Facebook. So you can oh. follow uh, follow us there too, and we. You know, we're making all the notes and all the news that we have for the film. We're just putting up over there. Yeah. And uh, you get your tickets for Ola Mexico Film Festival at Ola Mexico FF, as in filmfestival.com. And it's uh, coming up and uh, it starts uh, May 31st and runs through June 8th in LA. It's going to be a a lot of good stuff. So looking forward to it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed Feral, and uh, I hope people check it out. And uh, either they check it out at Ola Mexico Film Festival, or uh, when it runs uh, festivals in the future near them, or you know down the road. But I really liked it, and I really enjoyed talking to you. It's cool to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Neil, for having me here uh, talking about the film. I'm really glad that you watch it and enjoy it. And uh, yeah, maybe we can we can be around in the festival and, you know, have uh, a drink and talk more about uh, Mexican cinema. Sounds good. Yeah, and love to have you back uh, sometime, you know, uh, you know, when Farrell's out or when you start making the next movie. Uh, it would be cool to, to catch up with you. Yeah, that would be definitely, definitely. I, w- I would love to do that. All right, excellent. Thanks again for coming on. No, thank you for the invitation, guys. Yep. Can you feel that? Breath from the back of your neck Which is creeping close around the black Covered in muck and mud Shrouded in shame They'll run their mouths full of your name But here I welcome their fortune grace Here is where I dig their grave Oh, if you this fire Oh
Hi, this is Doug Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you are listening to Without Your Head. And you'd better keep listening to Without Your Head, or you will not only be without your head, you will be without your soul, because I will tear it apart. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. This is Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm. And we're joined by Ken Carpenter of Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and a lot of other cool stuff. And he's going to be talking about some stuff he's working on. It's very cool to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, Hellraiser 3 on Hell on Earth. Hell on Earth. Um, how did you get involved in that? Um, that project was brought to me by a friend of mine, uh, Lawrence Mortov, who's a producer. Uh, Lawrence's, uh, and Larry Kaplan produced it. Um, they basically, uh, had tied up. I don't think they were tied up with the Weinsteins at that time on, on the project, but they, they put it together and, uh, with Fifth Avenue Entertainment. And Larry had initially come to me and he said, yeah, I want you to do a pair of movies. And, uh, I was, it's, I was hanging out with Dan Haggard at the time and, was going to go, uh, Dan was, uh, involved in a project. We we're trying to get a, like a, uh, you know, a Western going. And so we've been working on this project for a while. So I told Larry, I, you know, I said, well, I'm really hanging out. I want this project to go. And he says, well, it's, you know, is it going? And I said, no. So he said, well, why don't you come and do this one? And why don't you do children of the corn too? And I said, no, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so. Excuse me. So I said I kept putting him off and putting him off, and finally, then they went and did Children of the Corn, and he came back and he said, "You know, man, you should have been on that project. You know, you could have done it." And I said, "Yeah, I probably could have." And he says, "Will you do Hellraiser?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." So he put it together, and um, away we went to um, North Carolina, and um, we were shooting some multiple locations back there. Um, and it was a, a very interesting, I thought it was an interesting project. I liked the project because I carried the two characters. I carried them was Camerhead and I was 
Doc Fisher, the cameraman. Mm-hmm. And so it was an opportunity to play kind of the two different sides of evil, or one side of evil and one, you know, good guy struggling. The guy, the cameraman guy was kind of a cowboy guy, you know, and then they had it, you know, it's was, it was kind of tricky to do in the makeup because uh, I had a Fu Manchu and really long hair. And of course, when I became camerahead, you know, like I had a skull cap on and no hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fu Manchu had to be shaved off and then glued back on, uh, which made making dialogue a little bit difficult. But again, you know, there wasn't a lot of dialogue with that character, you know, the the eye was mobile, you know, that was operated by a remote, uh, the lens, you know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, um, took about two and a half, three hours to go into makeup, um, with, you know, multiple, multiple layers of, uh, makeup going into it, you know, to create a really intense, and it was very, really excellent. Bob Keane was the guy that was uh, running that old show. The special effects guys, and uh, they were very good. They were from England, mm-hmm. um, and so you know it was a uh, it was kind of really it was kind of fun. It was a fascinating project to do. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I got a caller on the line nine one three area code. Who are you, and uh, where are you from? Hi, Douglas Epps from Kansas City. Oh, very cool. Do you have a question hey, for Ken? I do. I was wondering how long that makeup job took. It takes a, it took about two and a half three hours to go in, and then you know, oh, and about an hour to coming out. Um, and you know, it was it, like uh, there was I had no vision of obviously my my one eye was good, but the other one wasn't, you know, because it was covered in a skull cap. But um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. You know, it was uh, I I thought Clyde Barker was just. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant the way he designs some of these characters. All the center. Oh, I bet all Yeah, we had a good time with it. It was fun, you know. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think there was, uh, you know, people come and say, you know, what do you think about, you know, are you, you know, like, uh, it's kind of a cult thing. And I'm saying, you know, I didn't think at the time it was much of a cult thing, but, you know, okay. <laughs> you know? It's a pretty mainstream movie, yeah. yeah. How long was you filming on? Uh, we were back there about, I think, three weeks, you know, and um, we were, we shot downtown, um, trying to think of the little town we shot in, um, and we were on location, you know, different locations outside of town, um, and there was one area downtown where we shot at night, where they blew up all the cop cars and things, that, I'm trying to think, that was, um, not, not, um, trying to think of the town, dug on it, um, on it. Uh, it, it slips in my mind the name of the town was shot in. Yeah. Um, but it was um, it was pretty. It was really nice dealing with the North Carolina people. That you know, North Carolina is a great place to shoot. Uh, the great locations. It's really it's kind of um, you know country and rural areas mostly. Um, and we had when we shot in the nightclub that was actually in the town of. Uh, not Durham. Doggone um, it. I'll, I'll, I'll think before this interview's over. I'll, I'll think of the name of the bloody town. Um, right. But it was an interesting uh, makeup job. They, the guys were really brilliant. I thought they did a really good job with it. All, all yeah, the I mean, it's, it's one know. of my favorite. 
What are you saying, Doug? One of your favorites? Your favorite uh, I was sequel? Just saying, to it's one of my favorite. In, it's definitely one of my favorite in in the uh, in the series. I mean, it's definitely one of the better ones. Love yeah, I tend story. to agree with you. I think Hell, I think Hell Three was probably, in in my view, uh, you know, of course, you know, I'm prejudiced, but in my view, Hell Three <laughs> was probably one of the best ones they did too. Um, and they were talking. They were talking about doing a remake of the things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to bring everybody back together again. You know, um, they're threatening to have some kind of a get together in London this next year. What do you think of the new one? The I've new not seen one? it. Yeah, I've, I've not seen it. Um, I, I don't even know if Doug Bradley is he that isn't. character. He isn't. Yeah, I didn't no. think so. Yeah, last I mean, two. I yeah, he's not. It's an interesting but I, I, I think that's a mistake. Yeah, it's it's hard to. Uh, I think it's hard for any character that's known, but um, especially um, unlike other movies where it's a guy in a mask, which still I think people recognize, you know, who's playing Jason and whatnot. But uh, for someone that talks a lot, has a lot of dialogue, and uh, is present, the presence is on the screen. It's hard to then replace that with somebody else. Yeah, you really can't. Doug Bradley is will always be. Uh, Pinhead, and, and you can't really you can't really trade him out of that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's I love nice. Doug; he's he's a guy. He's a hell of a guy. Um, Tony Hickok, who is the director of that project, I've been recently impressed with, and Tony is um, directing a bunch of movies over in Hong Kong. And um, I had touched, reached out to get a hold of him because um, I had a picture, and they were putting together some kind of a little book thing, and I had a picture of. Tony and Terry Carroll and myself. And so I sent it to Tony and Tony said, ironically, it's in my living room. You know, they're glad you sent it to me, but I already got a copy of it. You know, it was a great picture of just the three of us. It's cool. But I had written a, a, a comedy horror and I said, I wanted Tony to look at it because I thought it would be an interesting project. And, um, for him to see if he might be interested in even doing it or give me a recommendation for it. Oh, and I've not heard back from him yet, but it's we'll, we'll see what happens. I had written that project with Richard Mole, the actor of, from Night Court. Oh, wow. Love oh, that's right. it. Yeah. Well, uh, Doug, so, um, I want to thank you for calling in, Doug. It's uh, a lot of cool questions, but, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, yeah. man. All right. Pleasure talking to you, Neil. Yep. Bye. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Pleasure. Uh, yeah. So, did you stay, did you stay in touch with uh, with Tony Hickok over the over the years, or you know, I've not. I haven't touched. I haven't seen Tony since the uh, we went down to the screening. Uh, mm-hmm. I ran into Terry Farrell periodically in town because uh, Terry had run up on interviews and doing different things, and so did I. And so we'd run across each other in town when we were going out on auditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I and other than that, and I not really talked to any of those guys. Uh, Larry, of course, Larry and I are old friends for many, many years. So I talk to Larry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in fact, he's looking at a project that I recent project. I started writing books on global terrorism. I've written six so far and uh, Larry's looking them over as a possibility to put them into production. Mm-hmm. So there's an anthology of books. So, uh, um, uh- were, were you writing at the time, or when did you get into a, to into a, being an author? You know, I didn't start. I started authoring about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, but yeah, about ten, twin, twelve years ago, 
I had moved to Big Bear Lake from um, L.A. And um, then I had moved to Vegas for a brief stint. And I got into the U-2 spy planes and things like that. And when I moved back to Big Bear, I met a U-2 pilot. We became good friends, and he introduced me to Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. And I started developing storylines that were would work through the six-book anthology. And um, then I, you know, brother, and they're just, they're out there now. Um, if you were to go to my website, it's kencarpenterii.com. You can see the books that are out there, um, you know, that are all sequentially because they all dovetail into the next one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they're pretty good material, you know. So we're hoping that we can get them made. We'll see. A lot of competition there, you know. Mm-hmm. And my books are written from a conservative perspective. So it's not a, it's not the typical Hollywood liberal, um, you know, spiel. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would be uh, harder to get made? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, they're, they're my, my, I'm written from the military perspective, you know, and the, you know, as a defense supporter of a defense contractor like Lockheed Martin, which I think is the best. And, um, you know, they're utilizing the books, utilize a lot of technology, utilize a lot of political uh, drama that's going on. And the stories uh, are very relevant to what's going on politically and globally. Um, you know, the first book is called Flight of the Angel and the Winds of Allah. And it's a story about basically about the closing of the Strait of Hormones, which, gee, that rings a bell today, doesn't it? Because yeah. we're shipping aircraft carriers and other boats are going over there today. Um, and basically the Iranians are mining the Strait of Hormones and, um, they attempt to shoot one of our U-2 spy planes down and it's a near catastrophe over eight day period of eight days where we almost get in a war with them, with Iran. And, uh, so that's kind of relevant today. Um, the second and third book is basically about development of a, a nuclear weapon that's, um, being made up in North Korea with uh, Chinese influence and Iranian influence and the attempt to bring it into South America through Venezuela and into Mexico into uh, some terrorist training camps in Mexico and they're trying to bring them across the border into Arizona and attack the infrastructure of the United States um, and explode, uh, you know, a nuclear weapon. Uh, we circumvent that from happening by an astute military. And, um, we move on to the third story, which is called the Rat to Chang, which is about the South China Sea and China's building atolls on the islands of the Spratly and Brazil Islands. And, um, a couple of our agents go missing in the South China Sea. And we, one of our agents, a guy by the name of Garrity goes after him. And it's kind of an exciting story about, uh, high peril on the high seas and pretty much about the South China Sea, which is uh, another very contemporary story. Um, the fourth book is talks about, it's called the, um, um, that's the revolution of the, uh, not the revolution of the Patriots. Sorry. It's the, um, <laughs> I got to look at him right now. <laughs> uh, it's because I, uh, these books are, oh gosh, 
Yeah, the return of the Bolshevik, which is basically about Putin coming back into power, you know, mm-hmm. trying to take the Soviet Union and putting it back together. And um, it's a pretty intriguing story about the, that involves the Ukraine and um, nuclear weapons and oil and gas. And uh, that uh, ends up in a kind of a shakeup, too. That that this story dovetails into the sixth one, which is the revolution of the patriot, and that's a contemporary story. Of what's going on right now with Trump, and ends up in a naval battle in the Strait of Malacca uh, over the shipment of weapons into Israel, um, and it's a very contemporary story. Mm-hmm. So um, that's about. All six of the books. I'm working on the seventh one called Signature, and that'll be out probably sometime this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you said you wrote them with a, a military uh, through a military perspective. Uh, so, so do you have? A, did you have a background in the military? I was in the Air Force for four years. I spent two okay. years in the Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington, and two years and eighteen months in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an underly Airman first class guy, but I was in, in involved in a lot of classified operations. And um, most of the, you know, I do a lot of research on my material, so mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time doing that kind of thing. Plus, my affliction with the, the U 2 spy plane, it was really broadened my horizons when I went over to, to Lockheed Martin and became good friends with the Scott Corks people because they gave me a lot of perspective about how to develop the books, too. So, um, and they're bagging my hand. I mean, they totally endorse my project so that they'll become involved. Once we get into production, they'll, we'll be able to utilize some of their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically it. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody, anybody can get the information they mm-hmm. want. It's not that I was privy to any private information. It's just, you know, it's out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, you can get those off your website. Uh, I saw those uh, digital copies. Uh, do you have the physical copies too, or is it primarily digital copies? No, there's you can you can order the books through Amazon. Okay. There you can get them digitally, or you can get them hard copies. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to my website, you can actually order them either way. Okay. Um, oh, okay. If you. So uh, yeah, you know, so it's a. Uh, yeah, it's out there. I encourage you to start with one because they they do dovetail and they they you get kind of excited going through them. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting storylines. Yeah. You know, but I I try to follow the the first one was written basically as a pilot for television because I, that's really where I was going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And but then I decided after I'd written it as as a pilot for television that if I cut it loose in Hollywood, that somebody is going to steal the idea. So I said, you know what, the hell with this. I want to turn it into a book. So when I did that, then I said, okay, the second and third, I had to, I had to create a character that was going to go, you know, a character that would be like a bond character that would go throughout the movies mm-hmm. and uh, through all of them. And so that, that character was developed and uh, he's in all of them like that. Yeah. He's uh, called Charles Garrity. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, physical media is something we talk a lot about with uh, movie guests. So, um, 
as an author, do, do you find that more people buy digital copies or, or do they get physical copies for, for, for uh, books? Well, people like them free. <laughs> right, right. Strangely enough, you know, uh-huh. people like it. So if they can get a digital copy, they like it like that. Uh-huh. So, um, and I've made that available both ways, you know, and, but I, you know, and then I finally said, you know what, you want to buy, buy it. Um, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, doing an audio copy because mm. I'd like to narrate the books, you know, tell the story like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there's both, a lot of people like to have a hard copy and read it and, and they can physically put it on their desk, you know, and then put it in their bookshelf and they're done or loan it to somebody. Mm-hmm. So they like it in that respect too. Uh, and they're, it's, they're written in a fairly large font, so it's easy to read. They're short chapters. They're written almost like movies, mm-hmm. like a movie screenplay, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's pretty easy reading. Yeah. So of uh, the horror movie that you're thinking about, I don't, you probably don't want to give too much away, obviously, but um, I guess uh, I mean, if you don't give the plot away, but what what kind of a horror movie would you be interested in, in writing? This story basically is, it's, uh, I, I don't think you could duplicate this one. Mm-hmm. It's a story about two aging vampires that are too old to suck blood. <laughs> and they have a French nurse that steals it from the hospital and they run a whole of they up in the mountains. And they get bombarded by a bunch of brownies that are float out of the woods, led by Kathy Bates, like German character, you know, that's a, and that they, it's, it's a bloodbath. It's really, it's funny. And there's a, the funky sheriffs in it. It's, it's written with the, the Marty Feldman kind of, oh, you nice. know, the characters, kind of really fat characters. Yeah. Uh, and basically, it was this story basically Richard and I were playing these two old vamps. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's, it's a fun story, and I think it's, it's very well written. We have some interest in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, Richard Shore is a line producer, has been working with me on stuff. And Richard uh, had found some money in Oklahoma that might be interested in it so that we would run back there and try to shoot it. And it could turn into sequels with this project because it's stupid enough to catch on you know uh-huh. it's kind of it's the kind of thing a movie people like <laughs> i mean you know uh-huh. it's, it's it's really just dumb awkward stupid moments but it is it's written like uh with like marty feldman you know and those you know gene uh gene wilder just, yeah gene wilder and that kind of you know, those kind of characters you know the mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to make it. I didn't have any trouble writing it because it was pretty easy to write that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, are, so, um, are you into horror movies or comedy? What kind of movies are you into? I'm into. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working on a project right now. It's called Widowmaker, mm-hmm. and it's it's the new my newest one of my newest projects. And it's basically it's a, it's a, a story about a kid uh, like that. That visits a town out in the west and, and wanders down the street and sees an old shop that has a, a widowmaker on the front of it. And the guy makes a, he's got a, a widowmaker is a limb that is, flies out of a tree and hits the ground hard. And they're, they're bulbous. They have a bulbous knot in them and the sap, which are, they're ejected from the tree at a particular time. And rather not that's when the wind blows or rain or, something a bird lands on it or something like that and the 
and this 250, 300 pound limb goes down mm-hmm. 200 feet to the ground and hits whatever is there and whatever is there is dead by the end of it. And this basically is a story about some bank robbers involved and some other things. Kind of a cool story. It's my Stephen King attempted a Stephen King kind of a uh, movie deal. Yeah. And I'm just we're actually sitting here working on it today. Oh, very interesting. So, so that I like to work on that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, my next uh, space shot is going to be on basically about Mars and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's how we're probably that's in development as we speak. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to talk too much about that one, but. Uh, uh, I, I like stories like that. I mean, I go anywhere, you know. My head goes off on different tangents. I'm getting ready to move off the mountain because um, it's, it's we're at 7,000 feet up here, and mm-hmm. I have COPD, and it's very hard. I oh, have, a, you know, sad. like a compressor giving me oxygen, you know, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm down the mountain, I don't use it at all. But So I'm going to move down into the Malibu area. Yeah. Uh, Troy and I are brothers. Our mother has a COPD. She's diagnosed, you know, last year with it. Well, it's fixable, you know, if you get $10,000. <laughs> yeah. Stem, stem cell research will take care of it. They take your blood out and put new blood in and it's gone. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I know yeah. they can do that with um, with different um, hepatitis now. Uh, which used to not be curable, but they could—they have a same idea. They take all your blood out and and, and transfuse it with a uh, completely new blood. Well, that's what they they can do with this thing. Hmm. But I mean, it's I think it's seventy five hundred if you're a vet. But I don't have seventy five hundred right now, so I'm going to move down the mountain. Yeah, and uh, wait until I get seventy five hundred. <laughs> right. But you might, you guys that bank a lot of cash on these radio programs, you got to do that for your mom. <laughs> we would. I, I didn't even know that was possible. So it was something we'll have to look into, we'll look into for her. Or she can look into it, too. She's a, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, $10,000 is a lot of money, but, mm-hmm. but it, it's it gives a you quality of life. Ten, yeah. yeah, 10 years of your life and then 20 years of your life and your grandkids and great-grandkids and, you know, beyond, you know, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. So, it was real quick. Was uh, when when Doug had called in, he thought uh, he talked about you know filming um, Hellraiser three in the uh, in a city. There, did you did you ever walk around with like the the the, the makeup or costume on, and like any local people see you guys and wonder what's going on? We had a you know when they got me rushing me out of makeup that one night we were getting ready to shoot that night. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh God, it's in, I think of the name of the town and the streets were all pretty quiet, you know, cause they blocked off everything. And, um, so when they got me out of makeup, they had a guy that had to walk around with me because I, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't navigate them on my own, mm-hmm. but I did notice there was a bunch of people down at one end of the, you know, the street and they were all standing down there just kind of looking and they were probably 300 yards away. Um, so I said, you know, I just wander down that way. And he said, the old boy is with me. Well, I don't know if we can do that, Mr. Carpenter. And I said, come on, man, let's just get some exercise here. So we walked down toward these people. And the closer I got to them, I noticed there's something very odd about them. And, um, 
and it turns out that they all the guys had they were a group of Down syndrome kids, and um, they were they'd been brought to the set by their mentors or attendants. Mm-hmm. And so the closer we got to him, I said, you know, hey guys, you know here, you can't touch my face or makeup, but you can touch my costume. Mm-hmm. But um, this is all make believe, you know that, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were like, whoa, wow, you know, all this kind of stuff, and they first took some pictures, and and then um, all of a sudden, I heard from the other end of the street, Carpenter, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I said. Uh-oh. And he's a, and, a, and a producer, one of the producers is, get him out of there. This is supposed to be a closed set. You know, we don't want anybody taking pictures. Nobody's supposed to see these guys before, you know. Mm-hmm. And get him, you know, get him away from there. <laughs> yeah, so they rushed me out of there and took me away from the public. But I thought it was cool. So, I, you know, at least I got some to be with a few people that were cool, you know, and they, I'm, I'm sure that they appreciated it. Yeah, they got course. a couple, a couple probably, pictures out of it too. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a cool memory that they talk about. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, question um, here from uh, Facebook: Loki Pace wants to know, was it uncomfortable having the uh, the bulky piece over your eye? It um, was well. The the way it worked was I had long hair right down my shoulders, mm-hmm. so they. Pulled all my hair, wadded it up, and rounded it around, and put it in a bun in the back of my head. Then they put a white skull cap on, so that I had no hair you could see. Then once they did that, then they attached this lens, kind of it was like a on a harness. It went over my eye. It was lightweight, didn't weigh a lot. I mean, a couple. Of maybe a pound. And then over that, then they put the the cap itself. I mean, the, the, the main, main, uh, prosthetic over all of my, and so that would show an ear and, you know, where, where the thing that, where there was a, a harness coming or a, a line coming out of my ear, which operated the camera. And then it all went around, down around my neck. Um, so the only area in my face that was visible would be around my eyes, my nose, my mouth. Mm-hmm. And they had to shave off my Poop Man shoe, uh, mustache. And the way they did that is they glued it and I can spray some shit on it <laughs> and then cut it off and saved it, preserved it so that they could glue it back on at the, cause I had other scenes to do as doc. Mm-hmm. And um, so they did that like that, and then they, and then of course once all of that went on, then they started applying these multiple courses of makeup, which was like twelve, thirteen courses of makeup. And you know, as far as the uncomfortableness of it, yeah, yeah, it was uh, uncomfortable, but not oh, not overwhelmingly so. It was it was it was more interesting than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I was going to be in it and you know out of it. Um, we had to do that. I think two days we had to do this, that kind of stuff so that it took three and a half hours to shoot, maybe a two hour section, um, the sequence, you know, we were walking through the streets or when I plunge a guy's face or I'm chasing Terry down the street. Um, 
So it was, it was pretty easy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't complicated at all. And, and it was not uncomfortable. It was more, I was more fascinated with it, you know. And what little movement I had to do, uh, it took care of it. I mean, I didn't have to do anything, hardly. Uh, mm-hmm. The visual was enough to, you know, to carry the story. Yeah. So I mean, you, I had very little dialogue. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, uh, meeting the guys again, you know, doing the conventions. Before you started doing the conventions, did you, um, <clears throat> did you know that, you know, Hellraiser 3 had such a following? I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, I, I, I did when I got to Germany and when I got to England uh, a couple of times. Uh, I got over there and I realized that there was a, a good sense of following, you know, mm-hmm. people that really enjoyed and, you know, followed along. I, I, I'm still baffled by how people can be so fascinated with it, you know. I was supposed, I was supposed to go to, uh, um, we were going to go to, uh, we we're going to Scotland this year. Mm-hmm. And I was going to take my son Jordan with me. Um, Jordan works for the union. He's a driver for the 399. And so, but he wanted to go with me. And he, you know, because I have COPD and had the issue of carrying a compressor with me and stuff like that. It was kind of, he was like good to have kind of my nursemaid. But I got the pneumonia at the last minute and couldn't go. But they were going to, I wanted to go over there because I really wanted to meet the people, some, some of the people from the Game of Thrones because I'm fascinated with that series. I think it's such a brilliant series. Mm, I love it too. Um, and I wanted to meet those people, you know, because I, I wanted to get on there one time. Uh-huh. You know? uh, so it was kind of interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, what did you think of the? Because uh, uh, I loved it, but for some reason, there's a lot of people who didn't like the uh, the end of Game of Thrones. But uh, what did you think of the finish? Did you, if you got to see? I it? thought it was brilliant. I thought yeah, they too. did a good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they did a really hell of a job. I thought it was. It, was, it kind of surprised me that she died. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that she would die, but she did. You know, I, I, you know, and I kind of feel like I kind of, I thought, well, that's fucked, you know, but, uh, on the other hand, I, I can see where they had to have the story. They had to have it in somewhere. I think that there's going to be more of it. Yeah. There's talks of, uh, doing spinoffs and I think they kind of set that up where there's, you know, people going to different areas where, you know, they could follow. They're going to come up with, she's going to have a kid somewhere. That's going to be, and it's going to be raised by the dragon or hell, I don't know, something, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the dragon's going to come back into it. The dragon was really good. I thought they did a really good job of the dragon. Yeah, I was quite great. fascinated. I picked this story up this year. Mm-hmm. I didn't even watch this, this show for years. Mm-hmm. So oh, I went back it from the very beginning. No, no, not at all. So I went back and I, you know, that's about three months ago, two months ago. And sit down and started watching it twenty four seven, and every episode from uh, until I got up to what it is, you know, until it finished, mm-hmm. and so that I had kind of a good. And I'd have to watch it again to really get a good sense. And I think that they probably count on people watching this thing two and three times. Right, uh, it's kind of like Lonesome Dove. You know, you're gonna, you know, you keep watching that show because it's so good. Mm-hmm. I want to see it again and again. Um, so I think that, that, that they're going to have a capture audience uh, to watch it again. And mm-hmm. I think that there will be more of it, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, because there's so many characters and so many. Uh, it's very uh, smart show, and they call back to things that happened in previous season so the more you you're more familiar you are with it uh the more you're gonna you know enjoy what's happening and pick up on on some of the smaller things yeah and i think that the, one of the good things well the, the thing about i'll tell you something with hellraiser my and i didn't really research hellraiser when i got into it i i read the script on my on the airplane going out there um uh, and i you know and sort of you know, gave myself an idea of what I didn't want to, you know, read. I just, I wanted to be as fresh as I could at the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the one thing that I got out of it was that where in the hell did this box come from? You know? <laughs> and and uh-huh. so I, I was, I was baffled throughout the whole movie. Where did this box come from? You know? And so when I'd have conversations with Doug Bradley, I'd say, you know, we got where's the origin of this thing? You know, it's got to have an interesting origin. You know, I think that's and should have been the next sequence in the in the, in the uh, yeah. overall pictures. When I when I talked to Peter Atkins, who was a writer on it, and I said, Pete, you know, when he was getting ready to write a sequel to L three, um, I said you should go space, uh, and he did. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you do that, write me a character role in it. Oh yeah, I will. Well, I didn't. Yeah. But this is okay. I don't care. <laughs> you know. But and Doug, I ran into Doug when we were back in, I guess, Philadelphia, someplace. Mm-hmm. And Doug said, "I didn't say anything, man." He said, I, "That was not my idea. I, I didn't give your idea." Up. And he said, "You know, that was Pete Atkins." And I said, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> you know, I said, "But I think it's what what they should do with 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 the next one that they make out of this." sequence should be like they did with uh, what was the guy Anthony Hopkins played the character uh, oh, Hannibal Lecter yeah and then they then they finally went back to the origin of Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. to the kid and I think that should they should do that with the box where the box came from they should give it an origin like that mm-hmm. you know and um but they don't have apparently not enough good writers working on stuff like that recently. Um, although you never know, Tony Hickok might uh, get unloaded and decide to do something. You know, he's Tony's a very talented guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. I just want to uh, ask about because uh, it's a uh, this one is a cult movie, Elves, which uh, I I have a soft spot for uh, for horror. Uh, Christmas movies, and uh, so what was it like to make Elves? And uh, Dan Haggerty, uh, Grizzly Adams was was on there. Uh, what was what was Dan Haggerty like? Uh, Dan, I've known Dan for years. Dan, I worked on Dan with Dan on three four projects. Mm-hmm. So and he just passed there the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And but Dan and I were old friends. My family hung out with him over the years. My kids grew up with his kids. Uh, we were good friends. And uh, so when they called me and asked if I wanted to do this project with Dan up in Colorado, I said, sure. So um, I was on my way. I would. I was on my way up there to meet my family in Colorado. And then I met Dan in Colorado Springs, which is where we shot the movie. And so uh, we were staying at a motel there. And they had some interesting characters who were also part of the part of the crew. And one included one uh, German guy. Uh, his name is Hans, 
can't remember his last name. But to, so Dan and I, would, we would have a, a pattern of events when we got done shooting, you know, and usually, you know, and then on a weekend, we had free weekends. So we'd go up to the Broadmoor Hotel and go up to the skeet range and shoot skeet. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, uh, we invited um, Hans to go with us uh, on this one occasion. And, of course, Hans had never shot skeet before, so he didn't know Jack. So uh, we got him out there, and he's like, this is what you do, Hans. You stand on this platform, and you, you know, you'll pull, and a skeet flies out, and you pull your weapon up and try to knock the bird out of the air, clay bird out of the air. And he said that. So we, Dan, went up and pulled him, pulled him, and shot it out of the air. And, and I went up, and I said, okay, this is how you do it. And I pulled and I think I shot, and I don't know if I missed him or hit mine, but it, whatever. And it became Hans's turn, and he he uh, stepped on the plate, and he said, you'll pull. And the ski flew out, and he blew a hole in the fucking concrete about 10 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, whoa, whoa. And Haggerty looked at me and said, uh, hey, uh, Hans, you're not supposed to. He's supposed to shoot it in the air, you know. <laughs> 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 and so he says, no, we'll try it again. And so, so we backed off a little bit, you know, because this guy was uh, looking to be kind of dangerous. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, he he stepped on the platform again, yelled, pull, and he pulled. And this time he blew a hole in the concrete about two feet in front of his feet. <laughs> and, and fucking Haggerty says, okay, that's a wrap. We ain't doing this anymore. <laughs> so we, we took hands and went back down the hill. And we were going down high. He haggardly looked at me and said, Hans, you're well known now as Hair Trigger. <laughs> Hair Trigger. So he became known as Hans Hair Trigger. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> that was, it was a funny story. But uh, mm-hmm. we had a good time shooting that movie. Elsa's. It's kind of an off the wall movie. I got busted. Yeah, it's very strange. I got, I, I got busted for being because it was a non-union movie, right? Uh-huh. And you can't do. You're not supposed to do non-union movies. So Haggerty didn't get in much trouble because he's, you know, he was just he's a maverick anyway. Mm-hmm. But I got busted, and so did um, uh, who's the guy the motorcycle cop? What's his name? Um, I'm not sure. He was up there too, shooting a movie too. He's from Colorado. What's his name? Um, you know, there was a pair of the highway patrolmen motorcycle cops. One of them was Larry something or other from Wyoming, and the other one was uh, the Mexican guy. Um, um, I'm not sure. Um, trying to think. Anyway, he got into trouble, too, for working on a non-union movie, so we had to go in and apologize to the whole armada <laughs> of photographers and people sag. Uh-huh. Promise never to work on another non-union movie. <laughs> so they take that very seriously. Oh, uh, yeah, very seriously. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that was one of the reasons they made me give them all their money back too. Eric oh, really? Estrada was, was at him. Hell of a lot of money. Yeah, was, I kind of got screwed on that one. <laughs> but it was was that good. the guy? Was Who's that? Eric Estrada. Is that who it was? Eric Estrada, the guy from Chips. Exactly yeah. Okay. That's exactly. It was Eric Estrada. And I ran into him. I was down in the Hollywood Boulevard one time, and it was a night in Hollywood Boulevard at school, and we're driving down the boulevard. We came to a crosswalk, and Eric was getting ready to cross the street. 
And I yelled at him. I said, hey, Eric. Hey, dude. How you doing, man? You working on any more on any movies up in Colorado? <laughs> and he was with a bunch of who, who could do flukes, you know. And they're all looking at him like, what the fuck? <laughs> he ignored me. He didn't like that at all. I enjoyed giving Eric some shit, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, how how yeah. did you get how did you get into acting? I was uh up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I went to school at the University of Wyoming and in the summers I've used a river guide at Jackson Hole Grand at uh, Yellowstone Grand Teton National Park, Jackson Lake Lodge. And I'd done that for like three or four years, summers every summer I was up there, you know, guiding people down the you know, the uh, majestic snake. And these 22 foot bridge pontoons, you know, they're like, um, well, they're 18 feet long, actually. And, um, you know, you carry like 12 people on it. And then you give a spiel. There's a, there's an oarsman on the front with a sweep and one on the back and you sweep your way down the river, you know, given a, you know, a dissertation on, on the wildlife and the archaeology, geology physiology and stuff like that um so it's pretty cool um you know uh i really uh, i enjoyed it i mean it was it was a good time for me and so at the last year i was up there i was working and it was like uh um the the movie warner brothers came up there to shoot a movie called the unexpected mrs polifax spy mm-hmm. with um with um john Beck, and nehemiah persov harold gould Rosalind Russell, Darren McGavin, um, and my, uh, there, I was living, dating a gal from the Pink Garter Theater in Jackson Hole, um, in the town of Jackson. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I was getting ready to, you know, finish the river trips and said if I was interested in working on a movie. And so I said, sure. So I became an Albanian soldier working on that movie. And when Warner Brothers wrapped it up up there, uh, they took me to L.A. with them. Said, "Come on to L.A." And I flew into L.A. and lived with John Beck on on the beach in Venice for two years and worked on movies and became a member of the Screen Extras Guild and worked on all kinds of different projects and then eventually became a member of the Screen Actors Guild and and doing an interview on the radio here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my son just got home. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was it was a good opportunity for me to get involved and, and do it. And Warner Brothers is cool. They were really good guys. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a, basically how I broke into the business. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, before that, like, uh, were there any movies or actors or anything that like uh, got you interested? Like, this is something I would like to pursue. Well, I mean, you know, I sure everybody wants to be like John Wayne. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be like Clint Eastwood. You know, uh, but uh, yeah, there were guys. You know, I mean, sure. I mean, I had a when it was I went to Baylor University. I had a drama scholarship when I first uh, graduated from high school. Went to Baylor and was there for a year before I flunked out. Came home, was a river guide and a hunting guide. And I joined the Air Force, went to the Air Force for four years and came back to the University of Wyoming. And then went, graduated, 
you know, went to the University of Wyoming for four years, got a BA, mm-hmm. was going to go to law school, was engaged to the only congressman in Wyoming, Tino Roncalio was his name, and his daughter, um, and I were engaged to be married. I was going to go on to law school and all this good stuff. We, the president of the Young Democrats met Bobby Kennedy and all this good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we broke up, and it, uh, you know, in the middle of that, and a movie came along, and I said, adios. And uh, away I went to Hollywood. I never mm-hmm. looked back. Cool. And then I spent, you know, a lot of time in Aspen, Colorado, up there running wild rivers and working on different projects. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, yeah. That's one way we know you can get uh, your books, as you mentioned, at Ken Carpenter II, Ken Carpenter II, II, at, uh, dot com. And um, do you have any upcoming appearances or anything at, uh, at conventions or? Uh, they're talking about bringing me back to England uh, sometime oh, nice. this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm moving off the mountain in August, and I want to put together a Scotland trip, another Scotland trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been. They're also talking about bringing me back to uh, uh, North Carolina, or or, or I'm not North Carolina, um, Tennessee, mm-hmm. for a meeting back there, kind of a celebrity event. Um. And of course, if this Oklahoma shoot opens up, I'll go up there and shoot that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be probably near and dear to Hollywood because I'm trying to put these books together in a big. If I can put this anthology together, I'll be pretty busy for the next five years. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, yeah, that's that's the kind of the thing. I mean, I if my website uh, or Facebook would will show or reflect any kind of event that I'm going to be going to. Mm-hmm. I'll put it out there. You know, I'm on my way to Smallville, wherever. You know. Yeah. So what? Where? What's it on uh, Facebook? Just like a Ken Carpenter. Or? Yeah, Kenny Carpenter, and you'll just see my, you know, my face. Right. And um, it'll have a, it'll have a few things on there, and my books are on there too. Mm-hmm. So I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'm. Also on Twitter, but I am not big on Twitter, and, I'm, and quite frankly, I'm not even that impressed with Facebook. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I'm not. But, I'm not a big fan of the Twitter either. But uh, I don't know. I like the fa- I like Facebook. But. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are things you know, and you know, certainly opportunity. Also, um, I guess there's some you know. Also, IMDb. I'm on. Mm-hmm. And that movie database, and that is keeps track of you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I mean, if there's anything that comes up, I'll I'll certainly put it out there. All right, very cool. And you well, can I... just friend just friend me on Facebook. Yeah, well, I appreciate you uh, talking to us. Had a good time. Yeah, it's a pleasure, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a good opportunity, you know. And, I, um, and good luck to you guys at show and. Um, you know, we'll, uh, if something changes, uh, you know, come back and we'll have another conversation. Sounds good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And I hope that I hope that I've been interesting to your guests. Definitely. I enjoyed it. A lot of fun. And Thank you so much. It was my pleasure, boys. All right. Well, take care and right. uh, have, have a good night. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. Bye. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. 
Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. They come at night. Mostly they come at night. Mostly they come at night. Mostly they come at night. Mostly. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They come at night. All right, and we're back here once again at the Station of Decapitation without your head, and I'm still asking you. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a big thanks to our guest, Andres Kaiser, director of Feral, which will be screening at Ola Mexico Film Festival. That sounds like a good time. I haven't seen the movie, but you've told me it was really good, and yes. it sounds like a really good one. Yeah, I really dug it. And a big thanks to Ken Carpenter of Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Had some crazy stories. I liked him. Yes, I did too. It was a good time. And of Elves. Elves, my God, Neil. that That is the movie. It is a movie. <laughs> it is a movie. Yes, yes. I, I guess. I guess the movie <laughs> might be debatable, but it, uh, just real quick, uh, the the elf, the the like the the premise of elves. It is about uh, like this former well, Nazi, well, an ex like Nazi. I guess the Nazi still a Nazi who's trying to recreate or trying to create. Um, you know the the perfect being through uh, insensual relations with his granddaughter, impregnating her with with an elf, and this will somehow bring a bring apart bring a bring upon us the perfect human being. This oh, I thought this was the movie with um. Uh, yeah. And Grizzly Adams is in it. Oh, that's the best part. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's a real movie. And I explain it, and you probably think, God damn it, Nasty Neil, I got to watch that. But I warn you, <laughs> you have time. It's not, as, it's not as great as I expect it to be. No. I remember it was the makeup was different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, basically, you just see the arm. Yep. Yeah. Well, don't they have a mask, too? But I think they only have one. Yeah, yeah. I think they only have one arm, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's something. They spared no expense in that movie. They do not. All right. I don't know, I get some weird email about something or other. But uh so also a big thanks to uh the tomb of Nick Cage who make our original theme song and to Jess O'Lantern the music of the month. Nice. Very Absolutely cool. big thanks to all of them. Exactly. So 
Troy. Yes, sir. We're here to talk about some stuff. We talked a little bit of it with Ken Carpenter. People out there, some of them are outraged. I loved it. The season, the series finale of Game of Thrones. I know. I I, I never expected, like, uh, well, really, I guess it was tough for me to wrap my, my mind around the series ending anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd been with us so long. We've seen so many episodes, so many uh, dramatic things, and so many epic events, and mm-hmm. a lot of different heinies sitting in the in the throne itself. It's true. And there will well, be spo- there will be oh, some spoilers here, so put yeah, that up. So there. be prepared. But it's been a week, and so yeah, or five wa- days. Yeah, if you haven't watched by now, the fuck. Yeah, somebody's already spoiled it for you, no matter where you've gone. If you went on a bus, if you've been around a group of human beings, they have already spoiled it. Yeah, I've seen people saying the worst ending of all time. And I was just like, what is wrong with P? I don't, I don't get it. I, I really love, I loved, I like the whole season. I thought yeah. last episode was, was arguably like the most epic episode of television. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, the, the, before this, this he's episode five, episode six, I thought was a great uh, ending to the show. Season five and six had great uh, send offs to a lot of the characters. Oh yeah, I saw people who hated the ending of of Cersei and Jamie. I'm not exactly sure why. I thought yeah, the, it was a perfect ending for for both of them. The only thing I can think of is everybody wanted like the standard, you know slap you in the face with a glove and have a throwdown with every character. Right. Which, you know, I think would be kind of ludicrous for one thing, like, cause it was, you know, you could buy the one, you could buy like the hound finally finding his brother, the mountain. Yeah. You know, and they're fine. They're, they're warriors who are going to fight each other. Yeah. But if you wanted like like the single showdowns between every character, mm-hmm. then I think you're looking for a much like broader, more standard show than this was. And you should have known that from season one that this mm-hmm. wasn't going to deliver that. Yeah, I thought it was a great ending for those characters, particularly it was. Um... Uh, for, for everything that they've done, they actually still they, they still love each other. Yep. Um, you know, they're uh, Cersei's evil, but there is still there's still love there. Jamie, you start to you know you think, oh, now he's a quote unquote good guy, but he's still the man he is, and he still couldn't get away from uh, from his one true love. Yep. Yep. And uh, it was it. What led up to that were some of the great send offs too. Like the last time you see certain characters together, and um, you know, just some things were resolved, some things weren't. And like when when Tyrion uh, lets Jamie go free, that was just such an emotional like send off. Mm-hmm. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, that's. Uh, the the hound you mentioned that one. Uh, some people are mad that um that the girl um didn't go and kill Cersei, but I, I like the ending because it uh she was going to, but the um, 
the hound knew if if she went to do that, not only, not only would she die, but she'd die because she wanted vengeance. Yep. And so he didn't want the same, you know, her to ruin because she's a young girl. She still has all her life ahead of her. She didn't want to. He didn't want to see someone ruin themselves the way he has. Yep. Yep. And she realized that and thanked him. And I thought, then that that's that's good. I like that. That's not yep. what you expected. And I dug it. Yeah, I I liked a, a lot of the way things went down. I liked. Uh... You know, like um, the whole thing with uh, the mother of dragons there, Dari, when she, you know. Yeah, it's another thing people flipped out about that she, like, basically turns evil and, and, uh, and you know, goes crazy, kills everybody. But I, I think that's how, what the whole the whole show is leading up to. Yep. For, yeah, because you can see little bits and pieces of it with her. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you think back to, like, um, her dad's plan was to burn the whole city down. So there's something the Targaryens got a little bit of that pyromania going on. Mm-hmm. The bad king. Yep. And like I just uh, and I, when she had died and and drove on the dragon, mm-hmm. scoops her up and sails, you know, flies off with her. I love that scene. Yeah, the dragon looked especially good in these last two episodes. That's what I was thinking too, Neil. Like I think this season they really found whatever it was that really like um you can see like a weight to them that they didn't have before when he's just flapping the wings mm-hmm. and you know, when his brother dies, when you see those little holes in his wings from before, you know, mm-hmm. when they were fighting the night king. And like, just I thought really good attention to detail with the dragons on these. Yeah, on I agree. Season. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then I saw people that really getting like uh, absurd. They were complaining that the dragon's breath was too hot, that it shouldn't be able to melt like metal, and it shouldn't be able to like blow up like uh, rock. And it's like, well, you know, first of all, you're watching a show about three eyed, you know, ravens and. People mm-hmm. come from back from the dead and zombies from the from the, the north and giants and dragon dragons themselves. If you're gonna say that's unbelievable that a dragon's breath could, you know, destroy a building, uh, I think it's probably the wrong show for you. Yeah, exactly. If that's what you're gonna nitpick about and like and what do you have to compare it to? How do right. you know what the the heat of a dragon's right. breath should be right because you know there's all kinds of animals in our in in the real world that breathe fire oh yeah without a doubt and then i even heard the people and i think that i blame it on too many years of dungeons and dragons that the you know that drogon shouldn't be able to breathe fire so often it's like well I think the three breath weapon limit is just a Dungeons and Dragons thing, folks. Right, it was just a, it made up to to limit it, so it just didn't kill everyone. Yeah, in yeah. game. But yeah, yeah. I mean, D and D is I love D and D group. Oh yeah, don't get but, me wrong. Yeah, that's not like fact of anything. Yeah, pretty sure there's no facts revolving around dragons. No, pretty sure. Yep. Yeah. So you know, next anybody out there who does do the spin off, do spin offs. Maybe you want a dragon expert on set. 
Yeah. Like, Bring in the dragon wrangler. Some guy was even, this is true. I, I post on my Facebook. I had blocked out the names, but he was even saying like what, like the actual degrees, like it should be. And I was like, come on, how the hell do you know this? Like, <laughs> it's just like, come on, dude. What yeah, the hell? Like, and would it be a good show if the dragon just like breathed like enough fire to like singe the hairs off your arm? It'd be like getting too close to like the barbecue grill. <laughs> yeah, that would like, be pretty exciting. Yeah, that'd be good enough. Or yeah, if he did it three times, he took out like three ships each episode. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, gotta wait for tomorrow and do some more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that uh. But no, I, I thought because um, you, you had some things like I, I thought like it was uh, the the episode before this one, or or was it? No, I think it was the episode before when when they kill the spider. Like mm-hmm. that one, I thought was was so sad. Like his death was just like really kind of a tearjerker. I thought, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the resolution with a lot of the things. I like Bran being the king. And I, I like um, I like Sansa staying in the north and being the queen because it fits her character because she's kind of a biatch. And she, you know, it's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, be subservient to my little brother. I'm going to be queen of the north. Screw you guys. Yeah, it was great. Then, uh, Sir, I mean, uh, the, who's the young girl? The younger uh, Arya. Yeah, she left. And uh, it was cool because a lot of things are set up because they are talking about they're doing uh, spinoffs. You don't know. Yeah. The only one they mentioned is The Long Winter, which is actually going to be a prequel like thousands of years before, which chronicles the first winter and the origin of uh, the Night King, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm. Um, it's interesting in theory. I'm not always big on origins of characters. I think sometimes it's better not to know. Yeah, I think it's so great being this mysterious, like, you know, thing. Right. Like, what the hell is that guy? You know, yeah. how did he get, I don't think you really need to know. No, I don't think so either, but we'll find out, you know, it all depends, but in theory, I'm not really, I like the idea of the original winter, but yep. not necessarily the, the idea of explaining the origin of the night King and the, and the white walkers. No, I don't think that's needed. Yeah. This rise of them is good enough. Yep. There's never an origin in any zombie ones. They're not say any, but mo- most of the, the, you know, the, uh, the Romero zombies, most of the zombies walking down stuff. There's never an origin of how they became zombies. Yeah, you People don't really need theories. it. And then, yeah, I think that's better anyway. I like it. Yeah. But it's, it's set up, you know, they can find, they can, um, Aria. I, I think that one could probably be a spinoff because she's going to a whole new world. So, oh, even, yeah. There's no need for the other characters. You just need her. You know, you'd make up new characters, but you wouldn't necessarily need like a, the whole cast of the rest of the show. Yeah, between her, you know, going to uncharted lands, mm-hmm. and then Jon Snow heading up north. Yeah, you got you know, that. You got two perfect spinoffs there. And then you know the people that did uh, Bran Br- Br- and his group could be uh, you know show. Yeah, they decided to do that. Uh, that was interesting. That was not expected. I, then I saw people saying it was uh, very uh, predictable that Bran was going to be the king, and I'm like, oh, really? Well, I I didn't see anyone guessing that, so I'm not really sure no. why. Rick. <laughs> no, I think everybody pretty much had Jon Snow 
yeah. on the on the throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be the only one that you could say was predictable. Because like other people, like I, you know, people guess maybe um, Tyrion. I no. wouldn't think that'd be predictable if he was, but you know, no. but I, I didn't see it. Besides you, actually, were more of jokingly saying it. I don't think I saw anyone saying that Bran would be the uh, the king. No, no, I didn't either. And and I said it because I thought my my take was it was going to have a very unhappy ending. Uh huh. And I thought, because I thought there was some kind of link between Bran and the and the White Walker, I, mm-hmm. and I think you know that's where I was going. I thought somehow he was going to transform into the White Walker at the end, and then just like resummon up his undead army and just wipe out everybody. Mm-hmm. Which we could still find. Maybe that is why they didn't pay it off. Maybe that'll pay off in the prequel. Maybe. Since we have seen him go back in time and stuff, maybe he goes back in time and becomes the white the the Night King thousands of years ago. Right, All right. right. We'll find out. But uh, I did see an interesting fan theory that that Bran is actually the villain of the entire series because he manipulated uh, everything that's going on in order to become the king. Yeah, you could see that, and then with his like abilities. Mm-hmm. You know, he would kind of say, well, geez, then things will probably most likely move in this direction or that right. direction. Mm-hmm. And then the one thing I like, and, and it's just that Game of Thrones thing that I always love anyway, is it like um, when they're talking about who's going to be king and then this character that like I think was in season one stands up like he's going to take the throne and like uh-huh. everybody's who the hell is this guy <laughs> yeah I, I when i was watching i was like am i supposed to remember this guy i don't remember <laughs> you <laughs> but yeah i i loved it i loved the whole series yeah, uh One of i see people saying like on tv yeah now i see a lot of people saying like it sucks in season like three or four and i was like <laughs> Well, why did you keep watching if you hated it so much? I know. Yeah, I, I heard people on the sports radio talking about that. Like, you know, ah, this was, you know, maybe in the top 50 of like, you know, good shows. But, you know, it's got nothing on. And then they just start picking these random shows out, you know, like The Wire. And it's like, oh, I love The Wire, but I don't see why it's any better of a show than this series was. Yeah, I love The Wire too. It's a totally different kind of show. It's hard to yeah. even compare the two. I mean, uh, it's a totally different genre. And, but uh, but people who say that like uh, this is just like some dumb show or something. I mean, it's it, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, everyone has different opinions, right? I, I honestly think it was one of the best shows ever on television. Yeah, I just loved it. I'm definitely gonna miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I'm know too. what we're gonna get to kind of like fill that void. Yeah, it's true. I, I haven't watched um, uh, Chernobyl uh, yet, but it looks very good. I don't. I don't think that's going to be a show that's going to get like this giant audience. So, so I don't know if there's going to be a show. Uh, I don't know what's left on HBO that has that has like the real big uh, following. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Um, oh, The Watchmen. Maybe it will. Mm, that's a, yeah. turn into that. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. So am I, and I think like you know they have a lot of, a lot of things they can they can do in that. Uh, Chernobyl though, um, 
Brian Leatherface Ray, who usually doesn't steer us wrong, he really enjoys the show and suggests we watch it. Yeah, I've seen nothing but good things about it, so I'm looking forward to it. And I think, um, well, you, you've still got to catch up on, um, but the season, I think, has ended for, uh, oh, for American Gods. You should still still watch that. Get your Ian uh, McShane fix. Yes. He is Mr. Wednesday in that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, Westworld. I guess that's pretty big. Is it coming back for a third season? Yes. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, uh, Bar- Barry. Oh, by the way, people, it's not horror or anything, but. I guess neither Game of Thrones, but uh, Barry, amazing show. That's one people should check out. It does seem like people are digging it now. Uh, I remember when it, the first year, it seemed like I was really the person who was watching it. But And then after the first year was over, then it was up for all these awards and people are talking about it now, But uh, which I'm happy about. I'm not saying, hey, I've discovered it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish people, uh, I hope people check it out. Yeah, you were, you were the one that told me about it, like... Uh... I think it was like five episodes in or so. Yeah. You were like, you got to watch his show. And I started yeah, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. We have uh, Craig Lindbergh on the line. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. How are Wonderful. you doing? How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Good. I'm actually calling from set. I'm on the deuce right now, and I'm calling you from set. Oh, very nice. cool. Can you yeah. give us any secrets? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let me see. There's a uh, well, James Franco's in it, and I'm uh, uh, <laughs> back again. No, I really can't. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we do what's known as a uh, non-disclosure agreements that uh, we're not allowed to uh, give anything away. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's, how's it going for you guys today? You guys doing good? Yeah, we good time so far. Good. Yeah. Good, so, good. Well, you know what? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go on. Okay, well, actually, there's something I wanted to reply. Like, a couple of weeks ago, you, you guys were talking about Mothra. Uh-huh. I remember, right? And uh, have you guys ever seen, like, the standalone Mothra series, like the modern versions of them? I have Where not. He, yeah, there's a, they, they did a trilogy mm-hmm. where they updated. Now, uh, even though I like them, I may not know too much about what periods they are and stuff like this, but <clears throat> the last one, Mothra turns into this swept back, jet fighter, uh, metallic uh, type of moth. And he's all slick. She's all slicked up. And she just comes out with all these powers that laser beam shoot out of her wings and <laughs> balls of fire and just fucks everybody up. So, oh, so Mothra got the upgrade. Some, oh, yeah, super upgrade. Like, you know, T-1000 upgrade. <laughs> you know, blast the shit out of the, it's, uh, her enemy. So she, yeah, she, 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 you know, she got an upgrade. So uh, were yeah. they good? Are they good? Oh, movies, yeah, they're, they're fun. Yeah, yeah. They're, not, they're not bad. They're kind of fun. They're kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like Mothra, Rebirth of Mothra. And I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, I believe they're out there on DVD. So mm-hmm. it's like uh, you know they you know they you know they updated the girls. The peanut characters were different. 
and uh, but you know they're you know they're, they're kaiju films, so they're they're kind of fun. And, you know, they mix a little bit of Indiana Jones style stuff going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, check it out if you get a chance for the kaiju fans out there that might not have seen it and just want to see Martha turn into like a badass. Yeah, go check it out. Mm-hmm. You have, have you ever worked on a movie like that with like a with big monsters? You know, not just like uh, people in makeup, but like a like an actual like monster attack in a city kind of thing. You know, I never did, but I did get a chance to to do. I had a chance to do Cloverfield many years oh, wow. ago, and uh, I was actually in uh, North Carolina shooting a film, and I wasn't able to get off of that film. And then cause the guy, I said, oh, we're going to come in. We're doing some kind of monster movie. And there's all this dirt and shit going on. And I said, oh, I can't get up there. And then it turned out to be Cloverfield. So I was not able to do. Oh, yeah. Because there was, oh, no, it, it was sorry, a lot of secrets. Dude, dude, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I did. I actually did um, Kong. Uh, it was a Kong of Skull Island. Oh, really? Um, but I did the, you know, they, they, they came to New York. And they shot a lot of the stuff. Have, have you guys seen the movie? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I saw you did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know the part in the very beginning where you see uh, John Goodman and the other actor mm-hmm. uh, walk into, into Monarch, like, uh, into like their offices, and, and that's where they reveal the Kong and Skull Island. Right. I was there for that. So okay. I, I was hoping cool. all that stuff. That's how I kind of did a giant monster film without, you know, being on the monster. Yeah, looking at some ball from exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they end at Kong Island. They 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 show. I think uh, Mothra's on one of the the like uh like oh, cave yeah. paintings or something. Well, that's where the the where they're gonna start. They're gonna do Kong uh, Kong versus Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, see, the yeah, they see the Mothra. They see Ghidra. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rodan, you know, they see all the, the monarch character, you know, the, what they're going to do, so they kind of bring them all in, which makes me think, are they going to keep any of them alive so they fight Kong and uh, right. the big, big giant monster fight? Yeah, like the the ad for this looks, it does look really cool. But my only thought was, like, if you want to do more, I know they're going to do Godzilla vs. Kong, but then after that, like, uh, uh, there's not too many... Um, not too many monsters left when you put three, you know, in this, in this one movie. True. True. It's like, you know, it's what they, that last Godzilla film, Godzilla final wars, he fights the entire Toho line of monsters mm-hmm. and kicks all their asses. And it's like, wow, you guys just shot every single chance that you could of them fighting something else. But, you know, they brought out shooting Godzilla later on many, many years ago. So, there's always a way to resurrect and it's like comic book, you know, a character dies, you know, somehow can't they yeah. come back again. Yeah. Are there, are there any, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not, um, real, uh, knowledgeable about all the old Godzilla movies, but are there, wh- are there other big, um, monsters that aren't in any of these movies yet? I guess that big turtle guy, what's his name? Well, Gamera. Yeah. I guess they could do Gamera. Yeah. I guess well, he Gamera's could in a different, yeah, he's in a different studio. He's a different studio. Oh, so they couldn't do it. Yeah, unless they get the rights. I mean, and then there's, um, I believe there was the, uh, uh, who was it, Gappa? Mm, which was sure. another one, which, uh, yeah, Gappa was released as monsters from a prehistoric planet. Uh, that was, I think, a different kaiju. I'm not sure the studio behind that one. Uh, who else? I mean, they could bring Gorgo back for, you know, they wanted to. 
they didn't, you know, that character didn't die. They make it back. Oh no, they might resurrect mm-hmm. that one, which would be kind of cool. I think he's like one of my favorites. Uh, then there was, I'm trying to think there was Gampa. I wonder if they can bring the, there was one, which was a Korean one, which is Yungari, which was a, no, which was a South Korean kaiju film. And I guess, you know, yeah, you know, there's probably some that they make their own, their own shit up, you know, but mm. I mean, have you seen the, uh, the, the, when they resurrected Gamera, I think the Heisei ones with, uh, where they really updated his powers and the way he looked. No, I've not, I've not seen a lot of the modern ones. Oh, that's, that's really good. Those are really, really great, yeah. uh, great Kaiju films. Cause it's like, you know, they treat it like a real thing. So imagine like a, you know, what, uh, maybe 300, well, I don't know how tall he was, but he was a big, big fucking creature. And he landed in the middle of Tokyo and they show you just smashing buildings and crushing people and just duking it out. And, mm. you know, you know, just smashing buildings. And I think it was really done well where they like, they treated like a, like it was real. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a cool idea of, of having that happen. Mm-hmm. I guess you could always do Mecha, Mecha Godzilla too. Yeah, they could do that. They could bring this, do Mysterious, you know, the Mysterians again. Yeah, they get so much stuff they get. They, they come. That's one thing that was kind of cool that they started doing the, when they started redoing Godzilla again, they started bringing a lot of their old, uh, you know, stuff back in where they had things from like Yog Monster from space. They had a couple of those uh, creatures and Kaiju from that area, uh, which, you know, wasn't in the Godzilla canon. It's, one of the other Toho monsters. So they started kind of bringing their whole thing back in again and tying them into one way or another into, uh, into these movies. So it was actually kind of cool to sit there in a movie theater. Cause, you know, when I went to Japan, I got to see these movies in, you know, in the, in the Japanese movie theater. I had no idea what the fuck was going on, but I was like, oh, okay. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Japan. Yeah. When, cool. when, did, uh, when did you go to Japan? Um, I went in 1999, 2000, and then I went there for on and off for like eight years, you know, because, you know, my, my wife is Japanese, so I went with oh, I her, know. and uh, I, I kind of made her go, I want to see Godzilla, okay, and then, <laughs> of course, but I had to bargain with her, her niece and her nephew, because I had to go see those little animated characters, you know, not Pokemon, but they had another character called Tom Taro which mm-hmm. is about an adventurous hamster and its, and its little adventures. Uh-huh. And I had to sit through those in order for me to sit through my Godzilla film. So I had to make a kind of a bargain with the devil in order to right. see what I wanted to see. <laughs> I think, oh, that's cool. Troy might know those movies. I don't know uh, which one, the Totoro, but uh, I don't think that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Hamtaro? Yeah, it was. It's about a. It's it's about a hamster. It's it's almost like you know how. Um, what are those those the uh, the rescue pets? What do they call them? Characters, where it's like a turtle, a duck, and a guinea pig, and they're <laughs> living in a. I forgot what they call them. The rest I don't have they call them, but anyway, it's like you know they're, they he he lives in some kid's house, and when the kid goes to sleep. It gets out and it becomes like an adventuring hamster, and it always gets out. Nice. Does some kind of adventure, and every year they came out with a movie with hamster 
doing kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> and then by the end of the end of the movie, he was back in his cage sleeping. Uh, it was area, area. things called Tom Toro. Okay, my, I'll have to look uh, for that one. <laughs> yeah, my wife's <laughs> niece loved that shit to death, and I had to. It's like, and I was like, "Oh, you want to go see Godzilla? You got to take the niece and nephew, and they're like eight years old and seven. <laughs> seven. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I don't think it's there anymore. I don't think Tom Toro's around anymore. I think he finally did us quiet death into uh, I mean how long does a hamster live for like maybe five years and then they kick, they kick, they kick it and then maybe that's yeah. what happened with that guy right uh, <laughs> well then you get a new ham tower that you know looks a little different but no it's still him come on yeah they have like a plethora of different hamsters even I know there's probably like 30 or 40 different hamsters all different <laughs> ones uh-huh. And he would just go and make an adventure with all his buddies and had good hamsters and bad hamsters. But you got like the ones that would, you know, cut, you know, like almost like prison hamsters. They'll cut you for <laughs> a pack of cigarettes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the interviews went well today. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. It was uh, fun last week too. It was a, uh... We had some uh, some other makeup people on the last few weeks, so that was cool. Yeah, so you had Bonnie Berman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, let me check and, here. Yeah, I guess I'll listen to that eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. His new movie was good. It's interesting. I noticed uh, kind of a trend lately, last couple of years. Some uh, A lot of like um, special effects and makeup guys started making their own movies. Yeah, it's pretty cool You mm-hmm. know, to see that. I mean, I guess I'm going to try to talk actually believe it or not i mean i'm not making except for that it's just really like a pipe dream but i'm going to try to get something that i've been thinking about for as long as greg showman has been johnny grusin's been around i've been mm-hmm. talking to a few people here that maybe i can try to find out what i wanted to do and put that on the celluloid huh. that'd be cool it is. yeah yeah you know so my schedule and then maybe you can interview me as a of course. It's not like Absolutely. some makeup schmuck, but something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's another schmuck. No, Here's another yeah, makeup man. schmuck. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Gabe Bartolos, who uh, who worked on um, right. uh, some of like the uh, the Lauder movies. And, you know, and then he made oh, yeah. St. Bernard, which is, is totally insane. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't... I don't know if I ever met Gabe, but I mean, we all know people who probably know him because yeah. it's all in New York. All New York group of guys that kind of came came up around the same time, and I think Gabe was one of those guys that was there. But I think he he eventually, I think he moved away. That's why he didn't like like didn't you know get to meet him or something like that. But there were a couple of guys that that stuck it out. Like I mean, when I was watching the DVDs again because you were talking about him, and I said, oh yeah, I'm gonna watch. That's the case one and two, and they have all these really great behind the scenes of the guys mm-hmm. doing the makeup. And there was like a couple of guys that popped up, and I'm like, oh, that guy's an Oscar winner now. <laughs> and that guy works in The Walking Dead now. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, guys doing, you know, sticking with it, sticking with what they like to do, and going on and doing really great stuff with it. Yeah. Yeah. Basket case movies. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. The first one I really like. Uh, I like the the sequels in their own way. They're kind of, you know, they're a lot sillier. But uh, 
I don't know, just something about him. But I think it's just really cool because, uh, you know, the second and the third one, they really... There's a really lot more freaks in them. A lot of the monsters. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot more things going on. And, you know, I thought it was funny how sometimes you would see Belial with, you know, uh, uh, you know, Van Hedrick. I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Kevin's face, Van Hedrick. No, no. Oh, what's Ke- his name? Kevin, Van, Kevin Van Hentenrick. Right, and you see yeah. his face with the laughing Belial, uh-huh. and then and it goes back to the dummy, and it, you, know, you kind of go back and forth, and you kind of go, oh, okay, ooh, <laughs> it's the dummy face. Oh, no, it's the real guy's face. No, it's the dummy face. I was so funny <laughs> that the girl, Eve, uh-huh. Eve was always a real actor in the makeup, which like, uh-huh. made me laugh. It's like, where are you going to get her? Yeah, there's all these different things going her. on. Yeah. Yeah, imagine her getting the, uh, you know, the casting call. She says, okay, we like the way you act. However, we're just going to have your head stick out from, a, from under a bed, and you're just going to, like, sleep <laughs> through most of it and scream, giving birth. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, when I talked to Kevin, the original um, sculpture for Belial is, is, like, it's like a mask of his face, and then, like, they, they put stuff over it, which... Uh, I don't know. Like I, I can never really see in the movie, but it's interesting because they they wanted it to look a little bit, you know, like him, like they could be brothers. Are you talking about the first one? Yeah, yeah, the first one. Hmm. I have to look at it again because I own that one. That's like that's another one of my favorites. Yeah, I think one another of one of my favorites too. that you like is, um, you know, uh, blood sucking freaks. Yes, I love. That's blood one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the documentary that's coming out. Uh, read on oh, yeah? down. Yep. Oh, cool. I ended up working with. I worked on a movie years ago called um, "There's Nothing Out There," and the son of the producer, Gadevsky, was uh, was the was the writer and the director of that movie. But his father was the producer on. Uh, on um, uh, uh, blood sucking freaks, so I was like, "Oh my god, it's my hero!" <laughs> yeah. and you got you you connected to that movie. <laughs> yeah, that movie's so so insane. It's awesome. Oh my god! And uh, uh, you know the little guy Ralphus? He, he yes. he was a porn actor. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, you know that, that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and originally they wanted um oh what's the guy from uh, Fantasy Island to play that role. Oh, uh, Herb Yeah, Herb No Hill. way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. But I think he was off, like, I don't know, banging some, some women or something. And so it didn't happen. <laughs> but at least, did. Yeah, at least according to Joel Reed, so I, I believe it's true. Uh, he was French, so he probably was. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, I remember seeing him, Villachez, in Forbidden Zone. Uh huh. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Yeah. You know the you, you you know that movie, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the movie. Did you see the movie about him recently? That was good. It was. It's got um. Uh, the guy, it, right? He's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dink was it. Yeah, it was, it was good. good. It, yeah, he does. A I great haven't seen thing. it yet. Yeah, I didn't realize I it was a it was it was a true story about like um the last the last day of his life. Oh, is it just his last day of his life? Yeah, and then he kind of. You know, he talks talk about, about it, like, yeah, because it's a true story. This, uh, this um, interviewer went and interviewed him about his life, and so it's about that. The last night that they they were together was the last night of Philich's life, and uh, so it's and he's doing an interview about his whole life. So it, he's telling the story. 
It's, it's done really well. And I didn't realize till afterwards, but the director of it is is the actual um, guy that interviewed him in the in, in the real oh, story. Wow. So he he went on to become a movie director. Is this on one of the streaming sites or? Uh, it was it was on HBO, so it's it's okay. It's, uh, if you have HBO on demand or something, it'd be on there. Mm, no, I don't have HBO, but I got it. No, I thought maybe since you yeah, work I mean, on the news, maybe you could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't give, they don't give shit like that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, can you give me a password for a day? <laughs> the only thing I got is I actually do. Because I got uh, because I got nominated uh, for Emmys, they give you oh, wow. a code. Mm-hmm. So because you get this code, like every 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 uh, every season, they give you codes, and these codes allow you to watch HBO, Stars, uh, Showtime for maybe about three months during the summer, so you can uh, so you can vote mm-hmm. uh, on the shows that you like that might win. Uh, the Emmys, so they give you the codes, and that's the only time I kind of watch oh, okay. HBO is I get these codes, and I binge watch everything. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, I was thinking. Watch. I was thinking one. Yeah, I was thinking about getting uh, the, what is it, ABC or uh, whatever it is, the one that has the um, the new Twilight Zone. Oh, the just, CBS. The CBS, yeah, just so I can watch the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Hmm. But I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about waiting until uh, all the episodes are up and just watching them all. Yeah, get the free yeah. week or whatever, and then just add that. yeah, yeah. Because exactly. I do already get a lot of. Uh, I love streaming sites. Like I get, you know, while I'm shutter and stuff. But there's starting to be so many. Mm-hmm. It's like if I get all of them, you know, it's going to come to like hundreds of dollars, like a month, you know, and it kind of defeats the purpose of having. Them. Yeah, it's gonna be like you'll get one you'll you'll get one streaming site because you got one show that you like. Yeah. And then you get another yeah. one because you got one show that you like and the next thing you know you're paying it's it's like you're paying for cable all over again. Like how many when you're yeah. cable, like how many I think channels they're getting, do you really watch? Yeah, I think they're getting too specific because, you know, they they took all the Marvel stuff off uh Netflix and I guess they're gonna take all the Star Wars stuff off because they're one at that all exclusive to the Disney the Disney streaming, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then DC's having their own streaming site. Yeah, and, I think that's the only way to watch a Swamp Thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. just like, and some things are cool, but it's like, do I only want to watch Disney stuff, or do I only want to watch, you know, this? And it just it gets to be too much, I think. I mean, there was a time where I needed to, or I really wanted to watch this stuff when it was on, so I could talk about it with friends. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'll wait till it comes out. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. You know, did you watch Game of Thrones? Everyone's asking, did you watch Game of Thrones? Like, I don't even watch it. You go, oh, and I'm like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. So, don't tell me. <laughs> In the trailer today, they're giving me the spoils, and I said, dude, I haven't seen it yet. Can you, you know, can you not tell me what's going on? Yeah. Like, That's yeah, a I mean, tough one to get away from, though. It is. It really is. I'm like, I already know what happens already. I know who dies. Who lives. I'm like, all right, thank you. Uh-huh. So you just you just saved me my HBO, paying for my HBO already. So I'm good. Thank you. It It is cool, though, nowadays that you can binge watch stuff. Because, like, when I grew up, if you didn't see a show when it was on, like, the chances of you ever seeing it was probably, like, really nil. Unless it was, like, in reruns or something. But... Because if even if you bought like if you when VHS days like if you bought a show like you'd have 
you have like twelve like VHS tapes for like <laughs> one one season, not even a yeah. season, just for You're twelve right. episodes or something. And then when uh, DVDs came out, it made it a little easier. But now it's the streaming sites. And the DVDs, a lot of you can get for like nothing if you want to buy a whole, you know, a whole season or something. Uh, you know, that's how I watch like The Wire and um, Sons of Anarchy and just tons of shows that you know, I probably just wouldn't have never seen otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's just kind of cool about it is you do get a chance. But I just think that's how I kind of got into Game of Thrones is I think I was in like a. I was in a hotel and, you know, they give you free HBO in the hotel and it came on. I kind of said, oh, yeah, this show's kind of cool, but I didn't really get into it, you know, and then, yeah, give it a shot. And then uh, my library had it in and I said, all right, I'm go check this shit out. Everyone's talking about it. And I watched the first episode before I know it. I watched the entire season in one shot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> But, you know, I guess the, the cool thing about it is when you did watch it on regular TV, you had to wait till like next next week to find out. And then you had but you had great story arcs because you had like 23 episode seasons. Now, sometimes you just get like eight episodes oh, of, yeah. yep. of something. And you're like, you're like, you know, like this show is only going to be like eight episodes. So and then another show is going to be like eight episodes and maybe you get 13 episodes, you know, and then you kind of get into it and you're like, well, that's it. You know, two months of, of watching the show and you're done when you used to be able to watch a show for like, you know, you know, six months mm-hmm. or, or, you know, you know, four months of, of new, new, you know, new programming. And, uh, now, you know, the, you know, I mean, I know, it's, I know it's super expensive to shoot a lot of things. Maybe that's the real you know, reason behind the, you know, probably also keep it, keep it good quality too. So, you know, like have like, you know, if you have like 24 episodes or something, you're probably not going to write it as well as if you do, you know, 10 episodes. True. True. And I mean, I think what makes it kind of is that you can either stretch out the story in 23 episodes, or you got to shrink and really compress the story in eight. Yeah. So maybe you don't get a chance to really flesh out characters as well as you may want to if you have to kind of shrink it down to a small amount of episodes and try to put more stuff in it where you got 15 characters running around all doing kind of shit. You're like, well, who's that guy? You know, it's like, you know, can you name all the characters from from Game of Thrones? I don't know who half the motherfuckers are. I'm like, who, who's that guy? What uh-huh. is he doing here? I have no idea. He's, That's you know, how it was with the Bill of Cards or something like that. You know, you, know, you know, have like, to who? keep flipping back to see who you know certain <laughs> characters were early on. I think like the British shows started doing that, making their seasons like six episodes long. Yeah, it's like you know, I guess that's what it is. I mean, I know where you, you know you, you tell a story arc, and it's like we're only going to do six episodes or eight episodes, and we'll tell the story. We have it geared up, and we're going to make it that way, and. I guess you could figure it out, sure. But you know, then I think eight episodes is like you can't really. For me, I'm like, that's it. I'm done. The season's over. Yeah, you, you know, always just, want yeah, more. I, I just, yeah. I mean, I, you, you hope that you're going to see more of it, and you're like, eh, well, that's it. You know, I guess keeping it fresh and keeping it interesting, and having keep keep looking at it and trying to find out what's going on. But I think sometimes you sacrifice you know, fleshing out a, a character. 
you know, you, 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 so many characters become in the forefront and other characters don't and mm-hmm. you kind of lose it, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. we're going to let you get back to the deuce. All right. But okay, it's always brother. good to hear okay, from guys. you. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call yeah. again. Thank Calling you. anytime. Yeah, we're always happy to hear from you. Creepy Craig. That's, That's right. Remember. Remember. I forgot. I was trying to think. There you go. I've been trying to think of it. <laughs> Creepy Craig. So it's a nasty Neil, <laughs> terrible Troy. <laughs> All right, guys. Take All it right. easy and have a good you night, guys. Well. You as well. You too. Bye. Take care. Okay. Bye. Yep. It's always good to hear from Craig. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. What we'll to, we'll to get a creepy Craig uh, caricature? Oh this. yeah, I I I can do that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Game of Thrones. Uh, it's really cool. You saw about uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not's new host. Yes, I thought that was pretty cool. Like, because I it was a show like I always kind of dug. Um, some of the things are kind of goofy, but you know, like it's a fun show and. Do you want to tell everyone who the host is? Yeah, Bruce Campbell. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I saw he also said that there's going to be more uh, Evil Dead, which I know before he said there never would be, but I'm happy. Oh, yeah. Yep. I can never get enough Evil Dead. Yeah. But yeah, Ripley's Ble- I think that's a great host for Ripley's Believe Enough because he is kind of cheesy. Oh, I yeah. mean that in a good way. I don't mean that, you know, not making fun of him. Well, you can give him like a big crazy smile and do you know, do the intros on these things. Yeah, and uh, so the last drive-in has been renewed. Oh, sweet! Drake. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a guest here on the show. Yeah, very exciting news. And uh, I know people were because last episode, last uh, show was going to be the final one of the season. I assume they would probably renew it, but you know, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't for sure, but um, it was announced by Shutter this week that they are. Oh, that's that's good. That's that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Shutter's one of my favorite channels. It's it's uh, yeah, it's very inexpensive, and it's it's really worth the. It's like five bucks a month just for Joe Bob. Yep. So I don't know if they start right away or like if it you know if the season premiere will be like in so many months but i guess we'll find out yeah i don't know yeah i don't know if there's a little break in between or yeah it could be maybe that's how they do it yeah i'm not sure but we will find out yep that is good to know Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool because he actually did some uh newer movies you know lately because you, you think of Joe Bob only doing, like, you know, the classic horror movies, or not necessarily classic, but older horror movies. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he did, like, a Deathgasm recently. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Which is cool, because uh, there's a lot of, you know, new stuff you could catch up on that peop- that uh, that's never had a Joe Bob talking about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe some stuff he hasn't even seen. That he can, you know. That's very interesting. Crawl, I think we mentioned last week, but that looks so good. I saw the trailer again uh, this week at the movies. Mm -hmm. That's one I'm looking forward to. Big giant crocodile. Oh, yeah. I 
I didn't know that was the name of it, or I forget it's the name of it. Right. I was trying to place it when you had mentioned it, and I was like, hmm. Yeah, look, I, I should know that. But. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can remember it. I will try. No tries, only nope. do's. There is only do. Mm-hmm. I don't think Yoda says that in the movie, but <laughs> it sounds like something he should say. It, it definitely does. Mm-hmm. Now, now that we got bright, bright burns open this weekend, which is like a take on um, Superman if he was evil, <laughs> which is interesting. What if we had like the Star Wars version of that? And it was like Yoda if he was evil. Oh, I would probably be pretty, like, just crazy, I think. Yeah, an evil Yoda. That would be better, because, like, I don't know. I think, for me, my least favorite character in Star Wars throughout all time, well, besides Jar Jar Binks, uh-huh. is uh, the Emperor. I just think the Emperor is just a weenie. He's very goofy looking. I like. Yeah. I actually like him up until Return of the Jedi. So really, I guess only in in uh, Empire Strikes Back. But he's because uh, he's not in it too much. I yeah, think, that's true. I guess if you only see little clips of him. Little. Yeah, I think when you see him a lot, he's really goofy. Yeah, he just I don't know. Got that toad looking thing happening, and he's just too me <laughs> for me. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this. Uh, it's like the epitome of evil. It's like a caricature of evil. Yeah, I guess so. But then, like, I guess evil, you break into like, you know, kind of slimy evil and like cool evil. Uh huh. You know, like you got Darth Vader being cool evil, and you got the Emperor just being kind of like a shitty evil I guess. Yeah, he's definitely not my least favorite but i've never been like a huge fan either yeah uh, but i mean if I, they had evil yoda leading them that'd be a different story right yeah i'd never really care for the end of return limit De- uh, return limit Re- <laughs> return of the jedi when he's like shooting with his light is like lightning bolts yeah i always thought like real goofy yeah i didn't like the look of the character and i didn't like that and he just I don't know, he came off as such a weenie next to, like, Vader, I think. Yeah. He's really, well, I was just saying, he's really lame, too, in the in the, in the the uh, the prequel trilogy. But oh, yeah, before he becomes the froggy-faced thing. Yeah, and it's so lame because everyone knows that's, it's like, you know who that is, so you know he turns evil. Yep. Yeah, and then, like, you know, Sam's beating the shit out of him and getting them all, you know froggy faced yeah and that's like okay that that trilogy well okay done that trilogy how how early does that end before the first movie because in the in the first movies he's like this ancient dude and he's yeah, just he kind of, he's just kind of an old man in the in the new trilogy like a lot of luck he really goes to hell between the, <laughs> the movies I used to drinking a lot, you know, yeah, after he becomes the so. emperor. You know, I was thinking one day, like, if you if you watch those movies in order, not in order they came out, but if you watch those movies in order, so you watch, you know, episode one, two, and three, and then you watch Rogue One, and then you watch episode four, five, six, yep. and then you watch them. 
seven, eight. Um, and I guess you throw in Solo in there somewhere. The uh, now I guess Solo and Rogue One are meant to be prequels, but the the new trilogy is really it's called Episode One, Two, and Three. So they'll be watched in that order. But if yeah. you watched them in that order, you would totally re you would totally ruin the movies for you because you would know Darth Vader is is the father of uh, of Luke. Oh, yeah, you know and like you know Ben Luke. Kenobi and everything. Yeah, so it's like you would totally ruin episodes. You would have, you would ruin the real Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. I can't even call it New Hope because when I when I was a kid, it was Star Wars. Yeah, that's that always like you know people hit me with that. And oh, was, you mean Episode Four? Do I? I mean the first Star Wars. Right, Star Wars. I know it's yeah. Episode Four. It, was, it didn't say New Hope. Darn, I don't they, remember that. No one, I, no one ever called it New Hope. Anyway. No. Now people actually refer to it as New Hope, and I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> I usually don't either. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of lump those three crappy ones together. The the prequel ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're horrible. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Horrendous films. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I truly hate those. Yeah. So uh, apparently, some movies are leaving Netflix. Oh, what's leaving? Doom. Is that with The Rock? Yeah, it's a horrible. I can't say as I've ever seen it. I think I've watched bits of it. And that it's was terrible. It. It's terrible. Uh, Freddy vs. Jason, Friday Thirteenth, and Jason X. Nice. Kill Bill movies. Stargate. Terminator Salvation. Uh, My Bloody Valentine, which I didn't know was up there. Oh. Mother? Is that the fucking terrible mother? Yeah. Yeah. Apocalypse Now. Oh, all right. But uh, a new season of Black Mirror is coming. Oh, really? Yes. When's that starting up? Let's see here. Uh, June 5th. Okay. I saw someone was saying that the new show, the new horror movie on Netflix is the scariest ever, but I don't know what, what it is. I don't even know what new horror movies on Netflix. I don't either. And, uh, but one thing I gotta say, not every movie is the scariest movie ever. Been. Every, <laughs> every time a horror movie comes out, everyone says, you know, they don't say it's the best or even that it's very good. This is a very good horror movie. It's really scary. It's always the best of the scariest of all time. Oh, yeah. Yep. This movie made me jump out of my seat more than, you know, pick your favorite horror movie. Mm -hmm. This is the scariest movie ever made or, you know, the scariest movie since Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it and you're like, I like that movie, but it wasn't. It wasn't very scary at all. No, it was not. Or you watch it and you say, wow, that was a pretty crappy movie, and it wasn't scary. Exactly. Didn't make me, you know, jump out of my seat. It didn't make me hide away. It didn't make me, you know, worship the devil or, you know, hide behind a crucifix or anything else. 
Uh-huh. It was either a good movie or wasn't very good or it was okay. <laughs> yep. Crazy, and that the people. I don't know how people get disturbed so much. Like, if you watch horror movies at all, like I guess it's cool that you can get disturbed and scare and stuff. But I don't know. Like, if you're a grown person and you're getting disturbed all the time by horror movies, and you keep watching them, I think that'd be like a, a sad life. Yeah, then you should probably start watching different movies. Uh huh. Especially the ones recently that I've seen, like you know all this buzz around. So like the nun, let's say that's mm-hmm. not picking on the nun, but it's just, let's just take that for an example. Right. So I think that was the last one that like, you know, you'll never be the same again. And they show people in the, in the audience and they're hiding away and everybody's jumping out of their seat. And somebody's like, you know, praying in the, in the corner. And we watched the nun. And it was pretty dull. Some of it was kind of laughable. It wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. And if that movie got that kind of reaction from you, then stop watching horror movies. Because, mm-hmm. like, you've got you got something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Either that or you're, like, 10 years old or something. <laughs> Agreed. 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 What if would you wish you could still be scared by movies? I I don't. I mean, I just no, watch because I enjoy them for you know for other things. I mean, yeah. you always get the occasional cool jump scare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think it's weird when I hear people say like a movie, a core movie's not good unless it scares you. Yeah. Yep. Because it's like, well, then I don't think I like anything. Like, yeah, I know. Because, I mean, I love Psycho. Psycho's one of the best movies, like, I've ever seen. Yeah. But it doesn't really, like, scare me. It, right. Like, like, I, know, I, I probably not like, so I've never liked a horror movie since I was, like, six or something. Yeah, yep. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I see things that, like, disturb me sometimes. Or, mm-hmm. like, like I said, or things that'll make me jump. Yeah. But it's not something that, like, I check under the bed before I go to no. bed at night. That kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah. It's weird. So, um, I've seen here the Dark Crystal um, sequel. is uh, It's uh, coming to Netflix in August. Oh, really? Yeah. So, it's, I guess it was made for Netflix. I didn't realize that. But... Wow. Oh, it's a series. It's a series. Oh. I thought it was a movie, but, huh. And it's like a Henson thing, huh? Yeah. Oh wow! And one of your, I'll give one it a of your, shot. Yeah, one of your favorites is one of the uh, in the cast. Oh, hit me, Eddie Izzard. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Just went and saw Eddie last week. Yeah. Was it good times? It was. He's a very funny man. If you ever get a chance, like uh, everybody out there, if you like a good stand-up comic, especially somebody very like reverent and a little crazy mm-hmm. two hours long always like um you know most most stand-ups do like an hour they'll have like a an opening guy or something uh and then but with uh with eddie eddie will go out there do like two hours and by himself and, and usually in high heels 
It's pretty impressive. Do you wear high heels when you go see them? I should. I should start doing that. Um, I think so. I, that would be pretty awesome. I agree. So don't sing it. Bring it. And he always talks about, well, at one of his old bits was uh, do finger crosses work on vampires. Like, can you take, hmm. you know, your oh, index yeah, yeah. fingers and make like a little cross and then like. Haven't they done that in something? I don't know. Hmm. It's like if you're let, you know, if you're somewhere and you don't have a crucifix on you, can you just make the sign of the cross with your fingers? I think they've done it with like two candlesticks. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen it where they've done it with like pieces of wood. Yeah. But it, it would, um, I don't know why it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Maybe it's a faith thing. As long as you have faith, then maybe. Yeah. You know, that's been brought up in a few things. Yep. Where it's going to be the faith. So if you had faith, it, would, it shouldn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't matter what it was made out of. Yeah. I always thought it would be interesting if people used other um, other religious symbols and crosses. So, like, That's if someone, someone used, like, the Star of David or yep. anything like that. And I always thought it would actually be cool in a, in a if you could kind of recreate the Jaws scene where they're comparing scars but with vampires so you'd have two old vampires sitting around showing like hey this is my you know they have like a big scar from like a cross that was burned on them and someone have like a star of david here and oh that would be good yeah i think it would be good because i think it also makes sense because then it would be any you know religion that yeah I, i i can go with that like as long as you have like a strong belief in it yeah why would it just be christianity yeah yeah, because I don't think there's anything like, you know, in the vampires past, because I'm sure you, you could get vampires from different, you know, backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless there's a re- unless there, I don't, I don't think there is like a reason where it's, where it would be specifically Jesus. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't. I always assumed it was just because that's a symbol of God. Yeah, so so you would think that, like, if you happen to meet, like, you know, like some Jewish, like, vampire hunter or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or uh, I don't know what, like, the Muslim uh, holy symbol would be. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, they might be crossed, too. I'm not sure. No, they wouldn't be because it's Jesus. I don't know. Or just like a, a picture of like uh, L. Ron Hubbard. You have like a yeah. copy of Scientology. There you go. I like that. <laughs> or, uh, Joe, what is what is the the Mormons? Joseph Smith. Do they have anything? It is. It's just uh, it's a statue of of Joseph Smith. Uh-huh. Be pretty sweet. That would be awesome. I just happen to have one in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Ta da! Maybe a Buddha. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, whatever you got. You yeah. got like a little spider ring left over from like uh, Halloween. He's like, yeah, I worship Anansi, the spider mm, god. Mm. Maybe you can get the old gods, like, you know, if like a, like Zeus. And That's true. If I have my Thor's hammer on or something. Right. 
pull that bad boy out. Hey, that'd be that's true. Yeah. Wonder. But I don't think I'd have any faith. I'd be like, I, oh, I like Thor. I think yeah. he's cool. Are there? Mo- this is a real question. Are there? Are there still people who who uh, worship those? Um, like the like Zeus, like ancient Greek gods. Are there people? Are there like people in Greece who who still worship them? There should be. Yeah, I want. I'm wondering about that now. I think Tanzo worships. Uh, Probably does Zeus. That's what I think. But you were talking about Tiny Lister, the, the wrestler. Who? The former wrestler, Tiny Lister, Zeus, who was in um, No Holds Bar. Oh yeah, of course, with the unibrow. That's yeah, exactly who I meant. Mm-hmm. Very, very topical reference. Without a doubt. <laughs> like well, you see, that's what's ago. cool, Bill, not to, not to ruin it, because I know you haven't watched it yet, but uh, in American Gods, that's how, like, um, people bring over their gods with them, mm-hmm. you know, to, like, to America. So, like, they're these, you know, like, uh, a ship full of, like, Vikings, you know, that come over, like, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And th- they bring, you know, Odin with them. And then, like, on a slave ship, Anansi the spider god comes over, you know, because one of the, the the slaves there is worshiping him on his way over and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's how all the new gods, well, the old gods are brought to America. Mm-hmm. And so there's all, all kinds of different, like, um, Jesus is there, too. So there's, like, you know. Uh, Latino Jesus, and there's like Asian Jesus, and there's you know Black Jesus, and Middle Eastern Jesus, mm-hmm. and then Surfer Guy Jesus. You know, there's all kinds of different Jesuses. Exactly. Exactly. We need uh, Vic Fiavoni to call in and talk about this oh. out there. Maybe What's his knows. take on it? I don't know. Oh, uh, I kind of like Robbie. Does Starr's he worship Zeus? No, no. All right. I would like Robbie Scar's take. Well, I really wouldn't on anything, probably. <laughs> but you, you'd like to hear what their holy symbol was, <laughs> exactly. only to be disappointed because probably a crucifix. Exactly. Exactly. So, new garbage pail kids are coming out. Um, uh, new horror series. People are acting like they never did oh, hey. before. I actually had the last one, which were, were really sweet. But yeah, it's a new series of them. Sweet. There's a. I see a leaking. There's a King Kong one called Leaking Kong. Nice. Uh, how I originally saw these, though, uh, one of the new ones is um, Art the Clown, and uh, no. former guest who is Art the Clown. He's very excited that his image is now going to be a uh, a garbage pail kid. Oh, that's totally awesome. Yeah, pretty sweet. So I caught. I never. I've never seen John Wick movies. No, nor so have I. John Wick three was cut. Is come well did come out this week, and so I was like, well, maybe I'll go and check these other two out. See what everyone loves them. And I, I'm not a big action movie guy. I don't think Keanu Reeves is a good actor, but I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed uh, the John Wick films. They're they're weird. They're uh, very well made. The action's very cool in them. They're they're bizarre. They're kind of like a heightened form, like a heightened world of reality. It's not like you can't take them deadly serious, but they're played seriously, so they're not like, um, you know, like a mockery or anything. 
Yeah, so, and they're all based around uh, John Wick's the dog getting killed and the guy going to get revenge. And I'm like, well, that is a reason to get revenge. Yeah, I'm I'm done with that. Like the premise, I, I dig that. Like mm-hmm. you mess with my dogs, I'd probably go house on somebody. Yes, yes. So I recommend them. The third one, there was some stuff that were borderline over the top. Well, not we're definitely over the top, but <laughs> it was uh, it was a little a little out there, but but it's I still, still was watching them. Yeah, I still yeah, yeah. yeah. A little, a little too far with the, you know, like fifty dudes and the one guy kills them all. Uh huh. I'm not really into that kind of stuff in movies. Yeah, that's usually harder to take unless there's, you know, if somebody's got some kind of crazy power or something like right. that. Right. This is just a regular dude. Yeah. Like, I was like, eh, eh. But <laughs> that's, that's the. Word. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, sometimes, you know, little suspension of disbeliefs needed. Yes, yes. So uh, check out uh, Without Your Head on uh, we'll check us out. <laughs> follow us on Twitter. You can follow us. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, um, Instagram, everywhere. And I uh, just recently put up some uh, interviews from Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. Catch it up on videos I didn't get to edit because I, I got sick. But uh, check them out. So I believe all the interviews are up now from Bo- from Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. And I'll be putting up the Boston Underground Film Festival interviews very soon. Nice. I look forward to seeing those. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of, uh, my young boy, Jason Mitten, and I, the, uh, the, um, the headless critic, we will be attending Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. Nice. This will be your second one in a row. Yes. Very, very. When does that take place? That's a good question. I think in August. Oh, okay. September. One of the two. Maybe both. Mm. But yeah, I think it's August. I think it's August. Really looking forward to it. And coming up uh, in just a couple, well, I guess a a few weeks, Happenstance Horror Festival, which is a a festival of short horror films. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the fourth year, I want to say, which is uh, cool. And uh, not only is it cool, but my short film will be screening. That's fabulous. That's great things. Very cool. That's mad cool. Hope to see everyone there Saturday, June 15th in Haverhill, Massachusetts. I was saying Haverhill, but it's pronounced Haverhill, I believe. Haverhill. Averill, Averill, Averill. I don't know. I don't know. None, none of the town names like make any sense. Right. It's like you people think, oh, it's a Worcester, but it's Worcester. Yep. What the hell do I know? But go and uh, go and check it out. It's gonna be a fun time. Not only going to show a bunch of uh, horror film, uh, horror short films. There's also going to be um, burlesque dancing. Wow. And live music can be pretty sweet. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. So check that out. Coming up uh, next week here on Without Your Head, we're going to have a couple of live guests. Such as? Pull the information up. We're going to have Jack Hunter, who is the creator of the Paranoia Tapes. 
There's, uh, I believe there's nine of these in the Holy series. God. Are they books, movies, or movies? Movies. movies. All right. Yeah. And we will have David Axe joining us, who uh, wrote and produced The Theta Girl, which I saw last year at Buffalo Underground Film Festival. And he's got a new movie coming out, The Shed. Oh, nice. Check that out. I believe uh, Mr. Mitten has actually uh, reviewed The Shed over at Watching Movies, which he is catching up on. He's a good man. Give him a hand, round of applause. He is. He's, as as I've said before, the hardest working critic in, in, in the bits. Exactly. He was, he was kind of let me down there for a while, but he's catching up. He's getting a lot of reviews out there, so he deserves a pat on the back. Did you guys end up having your, uh, your contest? Which contest was that? Um, who was going to watch the most movies this year? Oh, I stopped. I stopped. Uh, I stopped updating the site. Oh, I feel terrible about that. So he just wins, I guess. He just <laughs> it's he wins by default. Yeah, because I just forgot. I'm like, man, it's too much to do. By the way, though, that does remind me. Spread the head. So we get the spread the head contest. I forgot to give this oh, out yes. uh, last month. Uh, well, we're going to give it out in May for uh, people who uh, shared the show last month. I've got the names here. I'm going to pick them out. And you're going to win yourself Predator, the new Predator on Blu-ray. Nice. I really enjoyed that movie. So I had to do is share the show. When the show's coming up, share it. Uh, new episodes up, share it. Share the uh, Facebook, whatever it is. Share it on your Facebook, your Twitter, uh, your website. Talk about it on your vlog, wherever it is. Share it. On your cave wall. Exactly. Let us know. Message me or email uh, withoutyourhead at gmail.com. Save them all. If you share more than one episode, it'll count as uh, another um, entry. Nice. And the first show of the month will pull these out see who wins and this month you're winning the predator next month um i do have i forget what it is let me pull up the uh, prize list well i've got i'll mix up these names i've got them all written down i was into this last week but i did forget but troy is here now and he brought I, up prizes so i remembered that's a good thing then it is you're a good man no matter what jason says about you it's all right we love oh, him anyway Next month, A Quiet Place. Oh, nice. So that's this month. You share it this month. Next month, we're going to give out two, two copies of A Quiet Place. First winner is Loki Pace. Nice. Loki Pace. Win yourself Predator on Blu-ray. And the second winner is Kyle Gage. Very good. Won yourself the Predator on Blu-ray. Very cool. All right, Troy. Anything else before we head on out? Brightburn opens this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, that one looks good to me too. Um, now I can't really think of anything uh, off the top of my head going on. Um, I think I may have asked you before, but do you know when? Uh, the Nosferatu show is coming. Mm, I'm not sure, but I'm looking forward to it. 
So I think that one's on AMC. So you don't even have to get a goofy streaming thing or anything else. Mm, very good. So that makes me happy. I like that too. Let's see, opening this weekend, Brightburn. I said Aladdin. It's not horror though. I think Brightburn and Aladdin are the big ones. Aladdin looks terrible to me, but I'm probably going to see it because I have three free movies. But but that one, you have low expectations, do you? It's like no expectations. No expectations. Well, no, no would mean I. No is different than low. So yes, low. Yeah. No would be like I don't know one way or the other. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of the last movie with Will Smith that I enjoyed. It's been a while. Good question. I used to think he was a pretty good actor, but now I just think I just see him in something like ah, I don't want to see him. <laughs> I'm kind of the same way, and like when he was a younger guy, like I I always looked forward to seeing him in things, mm-hmm. but I don't know when that changed. Let's see here. Um, uh, Aladdin, definitely not. Oh, I actually like Bright. That was just that was one that a lot of people hated. But yeah, I, I didn't see it. I liked it. Yeah, they seem like people hate it before it came out, though. Yeah, you get that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you get that more often than not. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think it's time we get out of here, Troy. What do you say? That sounds like a plan, Chief. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the show. If you listen to it live, listen on podcast. Thanks to our guest, Andres Kaiser, director of Feral, which is going to be screening at the old uh, Mexico Film Festival. Thanks to Ken Carpenter from Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Thanks to the tomb of Nick Cage, who do our original theme song. Thanks to Jason Mitten, Headless Critic. Thanks to Jessel Lantern, Music of the Month. And thank you to Terrible Troy. Well, thank you, Nasty Neil. So follow us everywhere there is to follow without your head. Uh, Twitter, MySpace, well, not MySpace, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> uh, Instagram, YouTube. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe at Google Play. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, this is Nasty Neil. And this is Terrible Troy. And this is without your head. <laughs> 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 You were so young, just a child Only nine years of age when You discovered the gift you were given To listen to us, those unsaid You were my friend, we saw eye to Legacy I leave won't 
the light of day Not even hell Death, all they feel is cold.